0: Six tonight, we have Roger Higdon with us. What's going on, Roger? We appreciate you joining us. Hey, what's up, Bert? We got oh yeah, I guess I need to explain <laughs> that now, do no, no. Okay, so anybody that I knew from uh early childhood, well actually after eight years old, will call me Bert. Anytime I'm called Bert, I know it's somebody from uh eight years old to uh, well to now. Bert. So <laughs> that was one of the dads in the neighborhood that moved in. I don't know, uh Bill Blevins. I don't know if he actually thought my name was Bert, or he just decided he was going to call me Bert. But he would always, every time I'd knock on the door, he'd say, "Hey, Bert's here." So after that, I was Burt with those guys forever. Well, all of us, everybody
1: had an. I didn't have a nickname, but everybody did. Bert, Sheb, Tab, Tib, Pie, Pie, <laughs> Tab and Tib. Yeah, <laughs> half a dime, uh, all of them. Mumsy yeah. and Pubsy, thats what we called them. At,
0: uh, good times. oh I heard the bottle pop.
2: Yep. What you got, buddy?
0: Tonight we have Russell's Reserve 10-year-old. <laughs> That's one of my faves,
2: man. Is it? Yeah, okay. I like that one a lot, too. Yeah,
0: Russell's Reserve. It's, yeah. A, it's a wild turkey product.
2: Yes, sir. And uh, the uh, probably 2017 Johnstone Family Taste Test bourbon winner down in Florida.
0: Oh, nah, okay. Is yeah, yeah, that man. a blind
2: taste test? Blind taste test. And yep. it was definitely the winner. I think it was by far. It was runaway.
0: Yeah, it's a good bourbon. Great
2: bourbon. And uh, it's Roger, not. Would you like ice? Yes. There we go. See, normal people.
0: Okay. So I like that... the
2: way it sounds anyway on the podcast. I got to be honest. Yeah, you like
0: this jingle of the ice cubes Let Little there jingle,
2: jingle. <laughs> so we'll be sipping Russell's
0: Reserve tonight, brewed here in Kentucky. Well, actually, beer's brewed. Bourbon's distilled. distilled. So it's distilled in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Roger, it's great to see you again, man. It's yes. been too long. been a long time, yep.
2: Yeah, nice to meet you, man.
0: It's going to be fun to have some discussions. Roger's been in the uh, Louisville music scene for a long time and, and a musical family. We actually uh, came in with a, a Soul Parade song that Neil picked out for tonight. Roger, you remember that song? Yeah, it was. it's a great song. It's... Um... A funky song that we wrote. Um,
1: really, It's got a really good beat to it, obviously. Uh, keyboards. Um, it's just all funked up. It's it's a great song. I like it. got yeah, to be careful there. Funked up. Uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> Bruno Mars can get away with it. We can, too. <laughs> That's right. So That's right. Uh, what was the makeup of that band? Was it a five-piece? It was a four-piece.
1: Uh, Phil Bright was on all the guitars. Uh, Frank Campbell played the bass, and Rex Owen played the drums, yeah. Yeah, great lineup. And guys are top-notch
0: guys. They really are. What year? What year was that recorded? Two thousand one. Um, yeah. Right. Two thousand one. Yeah, it was released yeah. in uh, two thousand one. Yeah, there's a lot of good songs on that. You can uh, you can find that. We downloaded it on Spotify, so it's out there. Soul parade. Yeah, it's been out it's there a, for a while. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of good songs on there. We'll we'll fit a few into the program here. What was the title of that one? Uh, Draw the line. Draw it's the line. Down, yeah. All right, Roger, so why don't we, uh, we, whenever we have guests on here for the first time, we just kind of start with, uh, you know, what's your earliest memories as far as your musical life goes? Like, when in your life did you uh, get into music, realize music was going to be important, and how did that that look for you?
1: Well, you said it earlier, my whole family's all musically inclined. uh, Church, uh, different things that uh, I grew up in. You know, My my mom's side of the family all sings and plays the piano and things. Um, and also my dad's side of the family all oh, I've played. So, you know, I, it was going to happen
2: anyway. Both sides? Yeah, both sides. Man, yeah, yeah. You couldn't run away from it.
1: My dad started playing uh, probably when he was seven, six maybe wow. uh, with chords. His older brother showed him. And uh, he was pretty good at it. And what he did was he had two younger sisters uh, who he taught how to harmonize. So when they were in elementary school, they used to do shows together, just them three. Wow. Uh, real early. He's got pictures of uh, you know, them leaned up against an old car, you know, and the, the girls look like they're hardly old enough to do anything, but they're all singing That's and crazy. but uh they sang, you know, all the way up until he passed away. Uh, you know, three part harmony, my old Kentucky home, all that good stuff that you you know, all these events we would do, uh they would do the national anthem at places,
0: things like that. But uh, did he grow up in Kentucky?
1: Yeah, dad grew up. Um, my dad grew up uh, in Louisville. He lived over on Haskin early uh, when um, I would say he was uh, probably eight, something like that. I might mess all this up. My family will be on me. But anyway, <laughs> he lived over by Urquhart <laughs> Park for a long time, and then they ended up moving to Granger Road, um, and that's where. Uh, you know, his running days got going, and uh, he they had people around that they played music with. He played music with the Brewers, you know, Rosie Brewer and all that bunch over in Harrison Lane. But uh, from my lo- youngest age, I've always been around him playing and singing. You know, I come home and That's he's awesome.
2: playing. You know, like I keep thinking so. about that picture of those kids leaning up on that car. That's a that's that would go viral these days, you know back oh, in those yeah. days it was it was gonna just stay in that little community but these days you see a bunch a bunch of you know under ten year old harmonizers leaning up against the yeah. old car that's a that's a viral moment I now that's a great picture Heck yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah,
1: and um like i said any t- any group- you know get togethers we had uh family wise whatever there was always singing, I heard you all talk about it on a couple of the podcasts that I listened to about uh, Just whenever we all got together, there was somebody with a guitar and somebody singing. Yeah. Uh, It was really encouraged, you know, through. My dad was a big influence on me, um, taught me chords. I started playing when I was about eight. Okay. And he would, you know, of course he would sing to me and taught me how to harmonize. Uh, He would, you know, I'd be playing or something. He'd say, come in here a minute and sing this, you know, and I'd, okay, and I'd go in and sing it. He was Uh, teaching you a lesson, man. So did you love it from the start? Yeah, I always did love it. I mean, whenever he was singing, I would always, you know, find my way sitting in there listening to him. You know, I was always his audience, uh, as all my
0: family was. They all loved to listen to him sing, and he he loved to sing, always, you know. Did he play out? Did he play in bars or events? Churches. Yeah,
1: he played played country music um, the whole time growing up, all the old George Jones and Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Merle Haggard and all that. And like I was bringing up with uh, Rosie Brewer and them. Of course, I was young, but right across, right in front of Fairdale, or, uh, Coral Ridge Elementary, there used to be a jamboree there, a small little club that I think oh, Ro- really? I think Rosie Brewer was the one that kind of ran it. And uh, they would all get together and put on shows. And I think that might have been one of his first you know, paid gigs or whatever, but they would play country music there and uh, right. different things. But I was little. I mean, I, I don't remember going and watching him or anything. But uh, probably my first my first performance with him, I was at Coral Ridge Elementary. And uh, he came over to sing at the elementary school. And he just, I don't know, I guess he talked to the principal and came over and put a little show on. And I was sitting in the audience and uh, he said, you know, my, my son's out here, but he's too chicken to come up here. And I was like, <laughs> and I, I yelled out, no, I'm not. So next thing, you know, I, I got up there and sang. And that's uh, you know, something I always remember. What would you sing? Um, we sang Rocky Top. <laughs> um, and we I think I sang uh, a George Jones song called uh, uh, I Need Rosie. Uh, Rosie. Uh, anyway, my brother knows it better than I do. But uh, Rosie Bouquet. That was Rosie the name. Boc- of it. Yeah. So, you know, it was all old country stuff, and he did sing gospel and stuff. In his later years, It's all he sang was pretty much uh, gospel. Uh, I didn't really get introduced to rock music until my uncle, my Uncle Daryl. He's a couple years old. Well, he's quite a bit older than me, but, you know, he introduced me to, uh, you know, some of the old, the bad company and things like that, and, and uh, it just was really neat. You know, I, I'd always listen to country, and this had a little bit more bite to it. I liked it, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh,
0: he was a big influence on me, starting towards my rock side, you know. And so, what was the first guitar song that you remember learning all the way through? Um, all the way through. Did you learn that way? Did you practice when you first started learning the guitar? Did you practice songs or did you do drills and scales? And- no,
1: I I played strictly by ear. You know, my dad showed me chords and uh, showed me how to put them together, and then of course by him teaching me how to sing, and, and uh, he you know, he'd let me sing, lead, and then he'd harmonize with me. I got my timing down to where I understood where the changes were. And so yeah. when I got pretty good with my chords, it just kind of come natural.
2: You got a lesson in music theory as a kid, and you didn't know it. And I didn't know it. You yet. didn't know it. You kind of, you know, you just know where things fit, how it goes, especially if your dad's teaching, hey, come find this harmony, or here, sing yeah. this. Mm-hmm. That's just, you can't, you can't read that in a book. No, you can't. You can't. It's a different type of thing. I think that's that's where people that that, that play with feeling or play, not, not with emotion, but play, learn like that and have the ability to hear something and play it. I think that's a big part of it. They're getting an education in a different way. They learn different. I, I'm that way. Mm-hmm. If you show me on paper, it may or may not make sense. Let me hear it. Give me a second. I got it. Right. You know, and I think a lot of that's just growing up, hearing it constantly, being in uh groups that are somebody's always got a guitar and a song right um i think I think when you hear it from you know knee high until you realize you're actually hearing people play music you're getting this lesson you know? mm-hmm.
1: it kinda I think it starts your development of your ear,
2: you know I've always oh, yeah. been a
1: big you know like you said if I hear it a couple times and then I can transpose what I hear into my hands you know mm-hmm. and find those notes um but I I was real lucky that, um, that he took the time to—he uh, didn't really—you know, he never really said, hey, you better sit down. You're going to—none of that. It was just—he would say, hey, try this. And I guess if I didn't and went outside, you know, he didn't really get on me. But he made it so much fun that I wanted to try it. And then when I seen how much he was putting into it, I was like, man, I, I think I could do that. I think
0: I could. So your dad practiced a lot? He played, played it, a lot. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah, he he don't
2: it. call it practicing when you play. I no, mean, it's yeah. just you just play all the time.
1: I tell you what. What he would do is uh, he would usually um, he would sit on his bed in front of the mirror and play and sing to himself. You know, and whoa, you know he could do all the faces and and you know he. I think every time he he picked the guitar up and played, he was putting on some, a show of some kind. He never just noodled.
0: That just reminds me you know. of something you told huh. me when I when I when I got my first guitar and uh, R- Roger was always real supportive. I told you, Neil, I started pretty late, you know, as, as a as a young adult, and, and Roger was always real supportive. But I went over one time, and you told me you got to make it look like you're playing a whole lot harder than you're really <laughs> playing. It's got to <laughs> look like in your face that you're playing hard. That's Exactly right.
2: <laughs> you know, that's
1: that's the other thing. You know, you asked me uh, when did I really feel like it? You know, started meaning something. Um, you know it's it's watching other people perform and how much fun they have because there's nothing there's nothing more enjoyable than seeing somebody really enjoying themselves, and it's contagious, oh yeah, you know yeah, and uh, you know of course Van Halen did that for me, I mean those guys, when I was younger, they looked like they were having the best time mm-hmm. ever, and I was like, man, I want to have that kind of fun, you know." But uh, there, there's a lot of people that got me going, my dad, my uncle, but uh, Gary Caphammer. I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. his name. Yeah. Uh, but did he have a nickname? That's the real question. Uh, did no, he... he was from Glengarry, so we oh, didn't... different. <laughs> okay. We didn't nickname the Glengarry guys. We just right. called them by their names. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he was very instrumental in getting me uh, soloing and trying to, you know, move on to the next, you know,
0: little level of playing. So, so I don't think. Uh... I don't think you answered, but that was going to be my guess that your first song would probably be a Van Halen song. Uh, Um,
1: You know what? I have to say it's probably going to be uh, all the way through, probably be a Ted
2: Nugent. Is
1: that right? Cat Scratch Fever or something like that.
2: I think that's not counting all the songs you grew up playing as a kid. Yeah. I'm sure you knew yeah. Rocky Top all the way through. Yeah, right? yeah. Immediately.
0: I mean, I'm talking first rock guitar, first, guitar song. So yeah. The yeah.
2: Uh, first one that you nailed the solo and all that stuff on? Well,
0: I
1: was going to say, that didn't come until, um, and I never have nailed one. Let's yeah, me neither. <laughs> yeah
2: me neither. I'm with you on that. Uh, that's uh, not true. Uh, uh,
0: 19- I've got some stories. <laughs> <laughs>
1: 1980 was a big year for me, 79 to 80, um, of course, Van Halen. I think came out seventy eight.
0: So right around there, you're you're just going into high school, correct? Just
1: yeah, about yeah. thirteen, twelve, something like that. Um, of course, I wasn't skilled enough to even try any Van Halen solos, things like that. But I, I could pick out some of the chords, you know. But um, that couple of year period, I started getting a little better and playing with Cap Hammer and watching him do things and learning and so. Um, what ended up happening, though, to get all that started was in 80, you know, Blizzard of Oz came out with mm-hmm. Ozzy. British Steel came out with, uh, you know, a lot of good records came out, a lot of guitar stuff, you know. And so, you know, I learned, I sit down and listen to the whole Blizzard of Oz album and learn all the rhythm. So I couldn't play lead, but I learned all the song. I play all the rhythm. So I do, I go over to Gary's house. And, of course, he loved me because all I did was play rhythm and he just soloed the whole time. So that's like a dream come true. <laughs> Nobody wanted to play how you could
2: know. his nickname not be Glenn Gary? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Come on, guys. I don't, I don't know. All right, go But, um, uh,
1: you know, and then I was like, man, that, he's he's having a ball doing that, and I, I kind of like to do that. So that kind of got me going on, you know, playing some solos and things. But, you know, crazy train, obviously, and I don't know. Uh, and then once you start learning that stuff, then the other stuff starts falling in and it just starts piling up, you know. But, Do uh, you
0: remember your first show? Like once you started playing rock music, I know you played with your, with your family, and and uh, I don't know you probably did you perform in church also or.
1: Uh, we never performed. I sang in the choir. Some you know we okay. were singing. But uh, my first show uh, was uh, at Carl Casper Custom Auto Show. What. Battle of the Bands? Battle of the Bands. I was there. uh, That was my first one. I was in high school. I was a junior in high school.
0: I remember that.
1: And that was my first live performance.
0: I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, so does that include when uh, you would rent, you know, sometimes you'd have the uh, Playtorium in Fairdale rented out?
1: Well, that was after.
0: That was? Okay. Mm
1: -hmm. The first band I was in uh, was with a guy that that I played out with, a guy named J.J. McCrory. Uh, Dave Hensley, which is another Glengarry guy, very talented. Uh, and then uh, David Woolen, he's up from up here on the hill somewhere. He grew up up here. Um, Matt Hammond and myself, and we were called Pranks, with an X, of course.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> but we played in, uh, I wrote it down here, I'm, I'm awful with memories, but um, let's see. It was probably 82, something like that, 81. Yeah, uh, my mom and dad took you know took us all to the show. Uh, of course, them guys you know went with their parents or whatever. But uh, we played. Uh, we used to practice over in uh, Yorktown at uh, Sarah Rousey. We used to practice in her base. Her mom, I, I mean, just a friend. She was like, "Yeah, you can come over." And we would we'd just like take <laughs> their house over for like two nights, you know. And uh, what it was Do a, you remember what you played at the Battle of the Bands? Yeah, we played. Um, uh, Don't tell me you love me. By Night Ranger. Okay. We played. Um, uh, of course, we played Crazy Train, <laughs> and then we played. Um, let's see. Hmm. I didn't write that down, Bert. I had. <laughs> I wrote everything else down, but the actual songs we played. But I know those two for sure. Um, that we did. Um, it was. It was a. It was a good time. It was a great learning experience. A lot of our friends came from high school and. Did you win? No we didn't. No, we did you not. knew the answer to that. you did
0: not. Actually, you, That's pretty mean, man. That's like rubbing it in. You knew well, you hey, were there. He's won he's won enough competitions that we could talk Heck about yeah. later, you know. Well, I, actually
1: I did end up winning the car show, but it was a lot later. Yeah. Um but uh, so those, I wonder if
0: that's the one that I how, how many times did you do the car show? <laughs> oh, well, um probably four. Three, okay. Three or four times. Yeah. So what comes with winning that competition? Um
1: well uh, at the time, what, what we won, we won like $500 cash, uh, a certain amount of hours in the studio of some kind, and
0: then you won some equipment of some kind, and then the big trophy. Did you guys record original music when you won that studio time, or did you have any at that time?
1: Well, we we really didn't have any at the time, um, but we did go on and record with the band that you've seen, that HGM band. Uh, we ended up recording at Alan & Martin Productions, yeah. So okay. was that your second band? No, there was a few more in between there. Okay,
2: we got to get to them.
1: The 82 band was the Pranks band. Uh, Then we went into 88, 89. No, 88, 87 would have been Maniacs with the X, of course. (laughs) You you like the (laughs) X. Then we went into the Sweet Cheater band. That was my 80s hair band. That was with, uh, and, and actually, all the guys that I played with, that was 86, 87. I think we started. Who who are those? Um, well, the guitar player is a guy that played with me. His name was Tony Michael Wayne. He plays in Kirby's Dreamland. Okay. Um, Greg Unfank, and then Tony Frank was the bass player, and they they both still play um with uh, Johnny Edwards that used to play in Buster Brown. They're playing in a band called Blue Funk. They've got some original stuff and they're really awesome. And then the singer we had at the time, his name was Kevin Feller. And he's the one that started the uh, ACDC tribute, Thunderstruck.
0: Is that right? <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: So Kevin plays the uh, Malcolm part, and uh, they're very awesome. If you've yeah. if you've ever seen them.
0: Yeah, I saw them at uh, uh, the VFW post in J town one time. It might have been the Gaslight Festival. I know you yep. guys have played that yep. event quite a bit.
1: Yeah. Good times. So you played
2: a lot of good spots then.
1: We've played some. You know, I've had my share of good times. I've played. I've played every bar that I know of that was in Louisville at the time—the Phoenix Hill Tavern, Butcher Town, uh, Toy Tiger. I, I played all them places, and then you know it's kind of like a bucket list. After a while, you start—you know—I oh, mean, I want to play here, want to play mm-hmm. there. So, but I've I've done some some pretty good shows. We used to play at Caddy's a lot. I don't know if you ever remember that.
0: <laughs> I remember Caddy's. Caddy's was Caddy.
1: over off Old Shep. It was a Thornton's there now, but uh, we opened up in eight, when I was in HGM. That was a three piece. That was me. Uh, a fellow by the name of uh Brent Greco played drums and Bill Miller played bass. There was just a three piece. Um we played the car show with them. We got together two weeks before the car show and I went to sign us up and I and they were and we were just trying to scramble these songs in and then when I went to sign us up I never thought about a name. So I get there and they're like, well, what name? And I'm like, um, so I just wrote our first initial down, or our last name, HGM. And it, and I went home and told. I was like, I hope you all aren't mad, but I, I just wrote that down to have something. And we played together for three or four years, had an EP out.
0: You, so, play, you played with uh, Bill for quite a while, didn't you?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bill and I, um, we sang good together. Our voices blended pretty good. And um, harmonies have always been a big part of, you know, since my dad, you know, so. Yeah, you grew up with that. Yeah. You're stuck with it. I always felt like, <clears throat> um, you know, whatever number of musicians you have in the band, when you add vocals, you're adding more more instruments, you know? Mm-hmm. So you could be a three-piece, and if you're singing three-part harmony, you
0: sound like a lot more people than just three. You know? Ben Fold's five,
2: man. Yeah, so That's what that reminds me of.
0: Being in a three-piece band, and, and you guys were a solid three-piece band, I mean, you guys had a really, really big sound, you know, and... and uh sound good but how how is it how much extra pressure is it to be lead guitarist and lead vocals um that's a feat in itself i mean it really is that was the first band
1: that i was in that i played and sang so much in um and probably out of all the bands i've been in, including up to now that that three-piece made me better than than any of them because i had to cover two positions you know so to speak, and you know that old adage you, you can't do two things you know, g- perfect, but you can do one or the other pretty good, you know. But I always strive to play as good as I could and sing you know as good as I could. But that really made me better. It pushed me, you know, because I was it. I, I had to feel the melody and and I had to sing. And of course, when Bill was singing, I sang all the harmonies. And I've always oversang, you know. I just I, I don't know. I did. Nobody's ever really complained like, hey man, this it's my time, be quiet. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I just feel like that was one of the one of, you know, the bands that I'm in, that's one of our marquee things is sometimes I put harmonies where they're really not there, but I just think it fills it up, man. Well, any singer
0: that doesn't like a good harmony with him, I mean, that's that's gonna make you sound better. Yeah. So I agree. Well,
2: and and I agree, man. When when you have a three-piece, it does push you in a way you've never been pushed before. i I've, I've recently experienced that with my band that I'm currently with, Uh, prior to adding Josh and Spencer, it was the first time I was ever responsible to fill up all that space. And um, fortunately, I had a couple guys that that pushed me to do that, to to become better, and it it was probably my biggest growth, and I was, I don't know, 30-something Mm-hmm. Probably past the point I thought I could learn enough to do that. Right, but just I think it takes a confidence level number one, then a competence level number yep. two, to not number one you don't have to overplay. Right, um, you can be tasteful and play fill everything up, but. To to take away all that sound, but have to create all that sound in a three piece, it does it exponentially right. jumps you as a player. I agree. And
0: you, and you guys were playing a lot of seventies and eighties guitar heavy music. I mean, like, right? What's some of the, what were some of the songs? You know, just a few from your set list. Come uh, to we would,
1: I mean, we would do "Slide It In" by White Snake. I'd sing that and play guitar. I mean, that was. You know, the time, the off time and, and all that, played a lot of the Sammy Hagar, you know, the Standing Hampton stuff, like I'll Fall in Love Again, uh, Heavy Metal, uh, you know. And I always had an upper range where I sang a lot higher, and so I typically got to do all those songs. And, you know, it's like, you know, patting your head and rubbing your belly. I mean, it's just—it's <laughs> off time, and you have to—one of the hardest songs, believe it or not, I ever played and tried to sing was— um was uh, lights by Journey, you know, to try to keep that that groove that he plays, he's so good at, and then try to sing like a damn, you know, a bird, <laughs> you know, and try to do both of them good. It's it's a tough man, and you know, when you mess up on one, you obviously mess up on the other, and then it's like a shopping an all five train wreck, you
2: know. <laughs> <laughs> Clean <laughs> just, up, yeah, all five, yeah. <laughs>
1: so I, you know, I always consider myself a rhythm player. I feel like really. I well, me too. I feel like um on an average song, let's say 3 minutes, you know, there's what 20 seconds of solo and the rest of it is all that rhythm, you know, and I always just wanted to be a rhythm solid rhythm player. I want this if the song sounds like it 90% of the time, <laughs> you know, I'm happy, I guess, but uh I do try to I try my best to play the solos and try to learn them like I, you know, the best of my ability, but I really pride myself in rhythms. I mean, I just I try to sound just like what I'm doing if, you know.
0: So how how do you uh, approach, you know, when you think of those songs you're talking about, those, a lot of those are signature guitar solos. You know, people know those note for note, and they're playing air guitar on their pants leg, you know. So you you almost have to play it, mm -hmm. you know, play uh, it like the record. Well, like
1: Ain't Talking About Love, you can't play that song without doing that, you know, that Eddie stuff. Um and I'm not saying that I can't do some of them real close but um you know I'm not like Ingve. I can't you know this you know I can't <laughs> so but I also I also try to stay in my range too I don't I don't try to you know come out and,
2: and that it speaks to not overplaying to knowing look we can be real close without being Eddie Van Halen is Eddie Van Halen for a reason right because there's n- not very many of them there's not very many people that can even emulate that but you can fake it real good, yeah. and you can steal some of the stuff and, and you know implement it in your playing. But most people, most people, I think you you don't even realize if you didn't play it exact. Yeah, right. If you fake it good enough. So speaking
0: of Eddie Van Halen, I have I have a Roger Higgin memory. I want to I see if Roger remembers this. <laughs> oh gosh. So and I, I don't remember where we were, Roger, but I, I remember. Um, I don't know if it was a friend of yours or it was just a, a Louisville musician, or but someone had an accident or something, and, and, you know, they weren't going to be able to work. It was a benefit to raise some money for somebody who was having some hard times, and there were, like, a lot of good bands there. I'm thinking, like, it was three or four bands, and I don't remember what it was. But you guys came on, and you played Eruption by Eddie Van Halen, and a couple of the guitarists from the other two bands came to the front of the stage and got on their (laughs) knees and started bowing (laughs) to you. Do you you remember that? (laughs)
1: You got me confused with somebody else. (laughs) No,
0: No, I remember that. I've I've attempted. You don't remember that?
1: uh, You know, I don't don't remember that. To be honest, when I play, I look at a blank canvas, you know, and I've had to do that because I'm happily married for 30 years, you know. (laughs) You have to look at a blank canvas when you play, but, um, they may have just been joking around. I've attempted to play that song many times, uh, and they were probably just good friends of mine goofing with me. But, uh, you know, that's one of the things we used to do, you know, that toy tiger stance where, you know, you just kind of stand in the back and fold your arms and, you know, the intimidation thing.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: But, uh, you know, that's kind of went away the older I got. I don't I never really did that anyway. I I've always you know, my dad always told me do it and then talk about it. So and I, I never really talked about it. You know, I never really talked about, "Hey, look at me." I've just never been that person. I, I just feel like um, I do what I do the way I do it, and it's fun for me. And I hope you enjoy it. Because one, one thing about when I play, I, I could probably say that the the person having the most fun in the whole room
2: is me. Yeah,
0: yeah, mm-hmm. I can see you that. Know? I would agree. Yeah, Absolutely, and that, and it comes across.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's way you want to be. You want to yeah. be uh, the, the, definitely having the most fun in the room. I wish I could say. That that's how I've always been. That's how I'm getting. I mean, if you listen to the last podcast, or number three, <laughs> it, it, no, I, I wish I could say that I was... And it was never... I don't think I was ever posturing. I think I was just always the jealous guy in the back of the room going, man, I could do that. It's, I'm miserable right now. I want to go home and play my guitar. Not, not. I hate what you're doing. But now, it's, now I get so much enjoyment out of watching people. Uh, which, like tomorrow... There's this band called Mojo Thunder, and unfortunately, this is going to come out way past the time where anybody can listen to it. But they're on uh, they're on WFPK Live Lunch tomorrow, and I can't wait to listen. One of the baddest original bands you've heard in a long time. They're out of Lexington. They play uh, really southern rock, soul, just beat you over the head, Zeppelin with a—I mean, just— they are awesome, so I can't wait to hear them tomorrow. But that being able to sit back and enjoy a band like that now and go, yeah, these aren't my—they're—they're they're not competing. They're my friends. That where you probably always have always been. I wish I could have had that perspective as as a kid growing up. I think that changes the game.
1: Yeah, my my thing was um, whenever I seen somebody do something really good, it just challenged me to try to do it as good as I could. Uh, not necessarily mimic what they do, but try to step my game up in the way that I do. Um, people ask me all the time what what I get out of playing and music, and you know the one the one thing that you have to know that if if you have music in you, you can't drop it. You can't no. you can't lay it down. Now you might be able to quit for a year, um, two years maybe, but you'll you'll feel like something's missing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and as soon as you pick it back up. With the right people, you're like ah, oh, that's what it was, you know. It's, yeah, it's there's
2: dress bills. So just I just call them dry spells. Yeah.
1: So what I've always told people was, uh, playing music to me is my read a book. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, that's the place that I go. That I don't think about work. I don't think about bills. I don't think it's just me. You know, working on my thing and and enjoying it. And in my mind, you know, physically I'm in my bedroom or in my little work room and I'm playing on a little amp. But in my mind, you know, I'm at Freedom Hall and I'm performing, you know, mm-hmm. and that's how much enjoyment I get out of
2: it. Well, I think that last sentence is is your dad. Sure, it you is. You talk yeah. about, you know, it doesn't matter where you are, you're always performing. That's and right. That's, that's, you, you spoke to that earlier. So, of course, I mean, that's just that you don't have any choice but to be like that. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the way I was pretty much raised. That's I it. mean,. To me,
0: you seem like you, you were always an elite guitar player. I still consider you that. You know, I think—I uh, think you're an elite musician, and you know, it's—and—and uh, and you do enjoy it. Is—is um, is it something that's always been a, a hobby for you, and you just did it for the enjoyment, or was there a time when you were hoping music could be a career for you?
1: Oh yeah, if you look—if you pull out an '83 annual from Fairdale, that's what I have in my. To tour the world as a rock star—that's okay. that's what I okay. wanted to do. But I soon realized that hey, I'm probably not gonna—you know—probably not gonna make it. So my whole thing was I want to do—I want to play uh, A. I want to play B. I want to have as much fun as I can, and C. I want everybody else to have as much fun as I'm having. So you know, I've tried the writing thing. Um, I've tried doing. Uh, I've put a CD out with Soul Parade, i put EP out with HGM, I've set and wrote stuff in my room, but where I enjoy myself is where other people are enjoying themselves, and, and it just so happens that it's the kind of music we play, and I grew up in the 70s and 80s, that's what I stick to, that's my genre that I, you know, I just, it pumps me up, gets me going, and, you know, the Monarchs completely rocked everybody, they were 50s and 60s, you want the Monarchs, well, my goal with this band that I'm in currently is that I want to be the modern day monarchs. If you want to hear the seventies and eighties that's that's us so that was the market that I went after, and we've stayed true with it mm-hmm. and we've had a lot of a lot of success lately, you know with guys our age and you know the families and they get to go out maybe once a month you know and they stay there the whole
0: night and they they eat and drink and stay there, you know spend the money. How, so. how long have you been playing live now? Have you ever just counted the years? And, well, and were there any breaks in that time?
1: Oh, there were several breaks. Um <laughs> when I had my accident with my finger, I was off for about I guess I was off 2 years probably.
0: So can you talk about that a little bit? You know, I know that had to be that probably was really tough as a guitarist to yeah. have that accident. Can you talk about that accident?
1: Yeah, um it was just a mishap at work. Um a piece still fell on me and uh got a hold of my finger and, and two of my fingers cut one of them off and uh severed the other one to where it was just barely hanging on and so it was on my picking hand though so I was that gave me a little hope because if it had happened on my left hand it probably would have really affected of course Tony Alami did pretty good with his but
2: I, you know I'm, not, yes, I'm probably not, probably not that guy yeah, but
1: um it happened and you know immediately The first thing that I thought was, I'm done, you know, and I I wasn't upset. I wasn't like freaking out. I was just mad that. This is your index finger, correct? Yeah, that I might have got robbed of ever, you know, playing. So I set out for, you know, of course I healed and I set out for a while. And then I started playing a little bit. But basically all I did was just change my picking finger from my index to my middle. And uh, my problem is I don't have a lot of feeling in the end of that finger. So, all I did then was just find picks that I could, you know, hold on to. So I play a I play a pick now. It's a, it's called a cat pick, cat tongue pick, and uh, I don't know if you've ever yes, played with one. Yes, I it's have. It's hard to drop them. They're awesome. So they're awesome. That's what was happening to me is when I would play with a regular pick. I mean, they were just flying out of my hands. So I had to keep them on my mic stand, you know, constantly. And uh, so then I just kept experimenting with different types of. You know, picks, and then I found this cat tongue pick, and uh, I seem to be
2: able to hold on to them pretty good. So, man, they're awesome. I yeah, love those picks. Yeah. As a player, I would think there would be more of a mental hurdle than, than it, well, not more, but as much of a mental hurdle as a physical hurdle on that. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, see, I was big. My speed is, I say I got speed. Bert calls me a lead player, but. <laughs> all right, let's say, uh, what, what would be a better word that you can feel comfortable with? I no, guess, I, I, I can see you no, cringe when no, I say that. No, all. no, it's I don't. Good. I'm good. It's
0: because
1: he's humble. I'm all. just humble. <laughs> yeah. My thing is, um, one of the things that I used to do a lot was pedal pick. And so when I'm soloing, um, I'm using my pinky finger and my ring finger, and I'm pedal picking other strings, and it, it makes you seem faster than you are. Basically, instead of using my pick and trying to hit every string and, you know, I'm pedal picking and it makes it sound, you know. So what were the advantage, where the disadvantage was by moving my pick over to my middle finger is you don't have as you can't stretch them fingers as much as you can. It's just the way we're built, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to get that pedal picking back. And so that really just, you know, pencil behind the ear and get after it. So I finally gotten where I can. You know, and then of course the finger tapping, you know, that messed that up. So I don't do as much of that anymore. Like you said, I did the Van Halen stuff. I don't do it as much anymore because then I have to move that pick over to my ring finger and use my, and it's just a lot of moving, or you know, so.
2: A lot of moving parts, yeah.
0: Absolutely. You know, uh, I remember you were talking about playing on a little amp when when I first started playing the the guitar, and I went and got me a guitar, and I called you and said, hey. I got a guitar, and you said, bring it over. You know, I thought that was pretty cool. Well, then what is really cool, you know, we just talked to someone. We were talking about uh, trying to help other people be better and trying to coach people and things like that. I don't know if you remember or not, but when I came to your house, you gave me a Gorilla, a little Gorilla 25-watt amp. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? Yep. I mean that's a that was a hell of a gift for you know I for where a that new went. guitar. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Are you sure I gave it to you? you know. <laughs> no, I remember that, and uh, you know that that guitar amp was good to me. I I cut my teeth a lot on that, and
0: you know. And by I, the way, my nephew has that now. Is that right? Really? Yeah. yeah. Ty. Yeah. Really. You know
1: what what we used to do with that it, it, is I had a I had a half stack, but I had a Yamaha head. I wasn't I didn't have enough money to get a Marshall. You know, head. It was a lot of money. As a matter of fact, I didn't have a half stack, or a half, or a slant cabinet. I just had a a, a two by twelve. And what I would do is, I put that Yamaha head up there, and then I would run out of the back of that Gorilla because I liked the tone. And hmm. I would go into the really? Yamaha, and then I was just using it as a like a an amp, a preamp, you know, just to get it up. And I used that Gorilla for a long time with a rat pedal, and that was it. Really. <laughs> it sounded great, man, for what we did. You know?
0: The other thing, when I brought that over and you were showing me a few things, you, you know, you said, what kind of uh, guitar did you get? And I said, I got an epiphany. He said, I think you mean Epiphone.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I
0: remember that, Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's just part of the. That's hilarious. A, you had an
2: epiphany. What? That's yeah. But I didn't. I didn't laugh at him. You know. You're a better man than me. I, I,
1: I was just tickled that he, you know, he wanted to do it because he's 26. I know, but you know, here's the thing. Music. This is what I learned. Okay, this is the reason why I still do what I do and play like I do. Is because I realized. That I'm not always going to be able to play basketball and softball. I can't do that forever, you know. Maybe golf you can play, in your, but you can always play music. Always, as long as you can take a breath, you can sing. Yeah. And of course, singing was always easier for me. It was a lot, you know. The guitar playing's a little, little harder for me. But the singing I just got naturally for my family, and you know, I have a great ear for you know picking things out, and I could sing just about any harmony. But that's the real gift. The thing is, I just love the guitar. I mm. love. I've had people tell me, "Why don't you just sing in bands?" Well, yeah, I like that.
2: I love to sing, but there's just something about playing guitar that. It's also we talked about this with Toy, It's it's a barrier between you and everybody else. You right. you can kind of, it's kind of your hand to the crowd going, eh, "Yeah, I'll let you in," but I'm not. I, Not totally. Let me keep this here between us. Right. I need this. You're you're probably right. So being on
0: stage is like being on camera. You know, if someone's
2: filming, you're like, what do I do with my hands while I'm talking? (laughs) (laughs) I tell you, it is. is. (laughs)
3: Um, uh,
1: Being a lead singer is definitely an art. Yeah. It's an art. You you can be a lead singer and you can be an entertainer. Mm -hmm. Um, The guy that I play with right now is definitely an entertainer. You know, some people like the way he sings. Some people don't care for it as much. But the one thing about it is, you can't take your eyes
2: off this guy because he just—you don't remember what he's going to do. So, and you're currently playing with the Wilson Brothers, correct? yes? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, we, we didn't um, say that earlier when we were talking about you, but well,
1: we haven't got that far. I still yes. got seven more bands to go. No, I'm <laughs> we're still on HGGM. <laughs> so, so here's what happened with um, back to the finger is when I finally started playing again. I had a couple guys coming over, and we were playing around and things. And I got a phone call from a good friend of mine that I used to play with, and they were playing country music and played a band called Two Dollar Pistol. And uh, they were losing a guitar player and a female singer they had, and they wanted to replace both of those with me because they knew I sang the high harmonies and they knew I could play acoustic guitar. and So... You know, I went for it, and uh, were, were,
2: at this point, were you playing at home at all? Were yeah. You, I, had, did I, I, you immediately pick up the guitar again just to see, or were, did you kind of back away from it for a period of time? Oh no, I couldn't. I couldn't wait to see what I could do because, you know,
1: I wanted to know. I wanted to know if it was possible for me to get back to, close to where
0: I thought I was at. And uh, did you have your confidence at this point, or how, how were you feeling when they called? Did you feel ready? Um. Well,
1: you know, country music back then. I mean, we were playing like Diamond Rio and and some of these. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't as much of the traditional, but we we did still play the
2: old George Jones stuff and things. But you're playing, uh, I would say the start of the cookie cutter era yes, began, yes. where you're playing the G, C's and D's, Garth and that Brooks stuff. You know, was big.
1: And um and and the thing is, the guitar player I was playing with could cover any of that stuff. So I always knew, like I said, I like to play rhythm because that's that's just kind of what I do. And uh, you know, when you when you switch genres, um, the leads take take on different roles. They're just not the same. You can't play uh, you can't play the solos you would in a bad company song and then apply them to a jazz song. I mean, it's just it's a whole different. And country's the same way you got that twang and 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 the chords and the fast licks and the you know and it's just it's a very cool if you've ever met anybody that can chicken pick and play it's, oh chicken picking's
2: crazy man oh man, man it's just oh, yeah it's great
1: <laughs> and the guy that I was playing with he had a a B bender and a G bender so a B bender is where you pull down on the neck and you actually pull your strap and there's a a lever in the back of your guitar, and it pulls your guitar. It pulls your like your G string a whole step. So what it can do is, when you play a chord and you pull down that G bender, it slides in and it sounds like a steel guitar. Well, I'm
0: still a novice because I've never heard of this. So, and then the and then do you the, know about this, Neil?
2: I don't think I've ever heard about the G bender. The no. Yeah. So there's two. So of it's them. Just, so it's something mechanical on the back of the guitar. It's just
1: a, it's just the way the strings run through. It has a. Uh, in the back, of it has like a little arm on it, and when you pull down on your strap, it it pull the mechanism pulls your string sharp from a G to a
2: B. It's just a it's whatever chord you're in. You know, it's a, pulls it's that a it's a tremolo lever based uh, based in your strap, which is just like a yeah, the way it's connected mm. into your into
1: your guitar, and it has to be fixed that way. But they have a G bender and I think a B bender, and okay. the B bender you one or the other. I never could play it, but I watched it a bunch, but you pull you push out on your strap and kind of get this motion and then when you pull down on it it does the other but if you look on some of the youtube stuff and look for that it's okay. it's really neat and you can't tell what they're doing but you can hear it you know you can hear that you know it's it's not a bend like you're doing it it's a yeah. it's really neat so huh. what they'll do is they'll pull it down and start on it and then let it out and it slides Backwards too. It's, it's just neat. But it, they they back in the, the Diamond Rio time with Gatlin and all them guys that great players, they played it a lot. You know, they usually come on a Tele or a Strat. Mm-hmm. That's cool. T- t- but anyway, t-
2: anytime I think of country music, I think of a Telecaster. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Brad Paisley he uh. plays he
1: plays with one. I mean, oh, if okay. you watch him play, he you know he's got it on his. But he's he's an awesome musician. Oh, too. Yeah. Ridiculous yeah. player. Yeah. Unbelievable. So anyway, they asked me to do that, and I said yes. And uh, so I started playing acoustic, and I got me a Strat and played with them for uh, about a year and a half. We played at Colonial Gardens, Crossroads, Rascals, uh, did some weddings, things like that, uh, some outdoor shows. But we were—$2 Pistol is a song by George Jones, so that's where that name come from. And uh, Bob Keister, he passed away uh, probably 10 years ago the bass player. And then uh, Greg Unthank was one of the guys in Sweet Shooter with me and Tony McElwain. So uh, those guys ended up—when we when we busted up, um, they ended up being—there was a band called Silver Loop. Two of them guys started that band, uh, Tony McElwain and Greg. They picked up a guy named Tommy Miller. Yeah, I know Tommy. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. it's funny how all this kind of just— it's it's like a a big giant vein, and we all just kind of start. You know, so it's, I was going to. This really neat.
0: I was going to ask about that. So how, how do this? You know, how do you go in and out of these bands? Like, what happens is just uh, what well, what causes bands to break up that you've been in?
1: Uh, direction, you know, um, this is where I want to go, and this is what it means to me. And you know, it, that's one of the reasons why the Wilson brothers have stayed together so long is because. Everybody that's been involved with that band pretty much, um, they have kind of the same thoughts of, of what's going on like I do. You know, we, we just want to have a good time. We want to sound the best we can, and uh, we just you know, just have a good time
0: with it. And uh, How often does the Wilson Brothers practice?
1: Um, when we want to learn a new song, we'll—typically uh, what happens is is we all, thanks to technology, we pick out the— The song, the way that, you know, it's played on, like, we'll listen to it on YouTube, listen to the artists, we might listen to uh, some uh, other bands doing the same song, and then whatever version that we like, we send it to each other, and everybody learns their part, and then we just kind of show up and play it. Yeah. But uh, it don't always go smooth. <laughs> Normally, if it's if it's a song that we feel pretty comfortable with, we'll play it early in the show. And if it's a song like a, some kind of a Zeppelin or something that's got a little bit of timing going on, we'll put it in the last set.
0: You know? everybody's ready for everybody's it. <laughs> where everybody's drunk. Where everything sounds good. Yes. <laughs> <that's the> <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was $2.00 Pistol after, uh, was that the first band after HGM? Yep. Yeah. Um, after two
1: dollar pistol um, I started back with uh, me and Bill Miller got together and we started a band called the release and um, that's where I met Frank Campbell which ended up being the bass player in soul parade and I knew that he played uh, guitar and he was and I was singing in that at that time I was pretty much fronting and just playing guitar where I had to and uh, I stopped in uh, Dixie music. It's so when it was over there, across from,
2: uh, right at the corner of, of Dixie and Greenwood.
1: Yeah, right? Right, right, yeah. Chris right Rogers was
2: my guitar teacher.
1: Yeah, yeah, Chris was
2: a good friend of mine. Oh, and man, when dude. they
1: when they closed that down, they ended up moving down the road a little bit. I think it, it it might not have been Dixie Music. It might have been the music store that was over there on Bargetown, right as you get off of two sixty four. What was that called? do what? No, not doo-wop. Um, There's a guitar important Do wop no, 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 this was up towards the Showcase Cinemas. Anyway, I'll think of it here in a minute. But anyway, they opened up, I think, another store on Dixie. And Anyway, Frank was in there, and uh, I just went over there one day, and I walked in, introduced myself, and uh, said, Hey, man, I've got a band, and would you want to play guitar? And he's like, Well, I'd be interested. And so we hooked up, and so what I did was— uh, I of course the guys I was playing with at the time we were all you know how I am I like to goof around and so I had it
2: planned out Don Wilson Music Was it Don Wilson Music Don no. Willis Don Don Willis there, Music Willis Music Yes Was it Willis That's what it was, was. What okay. it was.
1: Yes ah. that was bothering him oh. <laughs> So Frank comes in and he's got his gig bag you know and his he's playing I, I think he brought over his Les Paul and he carried his amp down and so I was acting real um I was acting real into it, you know. And and so we gave him like three or four songs to learn. And, you know, he's real laid back. I don't know. Just laid back, dude, you know. So the other two guys ran on it. So, and Frank never didn't really know me other than me stopping in the store. So he didn't know if I could play. He didn't, I mean, I don't know if he had heard so anything. But, so this
0: is like an audition for him.
1: Yeah, but no, because okay, okay. I knew how good he was because I'd okay. seen him play. But, yeah. So anyway, I grabbed the mic and I was like, are you all ready? And he was looking at me like, man, you're in the basement, you know? And I was like, let's rock this place. And, and, and then we all cracked up laughing. I looked over in his eyes, were are like, what the heck am I getting into? You know? And then we all laughed and it worked out. But we played together for probably a year, year and a half. And then that's when uh Phil Bright was running sound for us some, and he was another guitar player I played with. He decided, you know, we got to talking and stuff, and he was wanting to get in a band, and I was like, well, you know, I, I kind of like what I got going on, and, you know, but over a period of time, things worked around to where he ended up getting in the band. Uh, Frank started playing bass. That's who was playing bass on that. Was He's actually a guitar player. <laughs>
2: no kidding. Um,
1: he plays in a band right now called Wicked Sensation. They do all 80s, uh, you know, the heavier, like the Motley Crue and all that, but he's a great guitar player, and... But he's we call him P-Funk on the bass because he, you know. But uh, he was good friends with Chip Adams, and that, Chip Adams worked there too. And uh, I'm sure they all sit around and played bass together and did things. It was a lot
0: of fun, that band. So that that was the release?
1: That was the release, and then Soul Parade came out of the release. Okay,
0: so yeah. Phil played in Soul Parade. Yeah. So he, uh, he played bass on that uh, CD? Frank did. Frank did. Yeah, and okay. Phil
1: came in and played guitars. Now, Phil played... Um, he had a Hamer dual tone, which I've got a couple of those too, and uh, he had bought a uh, uh, an effect where he, it was a Roland effect, I believe, of some kind, where he could play his guitar and it would sound like strings, piano, I mean, it was a synthesizer of, mm-hmm. what, I forgot what they call them now, but it's been so long. But uh, when he would do that, I would play, you know, and cover the, the rhythms and things, but in the song that you listen to, "Draw the Line," all that beginning is him playing that on guitar. Are you kidding? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's insane. So, um, and he's Phil's a very, very talented person. He actually runs a, a Louisville music studio or whatever he's got over off uh, Shelbyville Road. Okay. Um,
0: Recording studio? Yeah, I think
1: he does it full time. Um, as far as I know, he's you know pretty big time.
0: Did he record? Did, where did you all record Soul Parade"?
1: We actually recorded it in his basement on a uh, eight track.
2: Dude, I love the yeah. drum sounds on that
0: yeah.
1: that album. That was all in a room, real similar to what you got here, with uh, you know the door closed and mic and everything up, and Phil sitting in there with his little studio. You know, it wasn't much bigger than what you had there. Yeah, yeah. uh, And then we took it to uh, we took and had it uh, finalized, and you know had them mastered, mastered, yeah. and yeah. yeah, all that. Yeah, who did head, that? Head first Media did okay. that for us. Um, all the guys that are in that Radiotronic band, Jeff Epperson, all oh, them guys. Uh, they did the best they could do with what we were, you know, you, you listen to some of Phil's stuff now and it's like, oh, my gosh, how do we even let that CD get out? But for the time, you know, it was it, we enjoyed it and it was uh, our juices were all flowing with ideas and trying to. You know, and that's like I was telling Neil earlier, that's just kind of a hodgepodge of different styles of music on that whole.
0: I would love CD. to talk to somebody like Field Bright because that's uh, re- recording is just something that really has my interest right now. And you know, it's like, uh, uh and I think you said it one time, you know, I think you, you probably never quit learning, but it's no. it, the more with recording, I mean, you know. You call them recording engineers, and I think you could get a five-year master degree in, in Aww, recording and still not know it. But the more I well, learn, the wider the gap gets to what I need to learn. That, well, all that does is show you how much more you have to learn. Right.
2: Well, and then once you—the the crazy thing about studios or anything like that right now is as soon as you learned it, it's obsolete. You're moving on with new technology. So, I mean, you almost have to continue to learn technology and, and keep up on that level. Uh, because I'm sure just you were probably recording in his room on a task or something like that. That's a digital based mm-hmm. recording. That's on a mini disc that I can't, I, I don't even understand how he could edit on that because I've tried it. And, and the original recording was so much better than what happened after I got through with it, because <laughs> I just, you know, we talked about blowing out your ears. Listens, I did that and it sounds like dog crap now. <laughs> so, I, to be able to, because after listening to it, especially to be able to to record it, um, and and have it sound the way it still does is amazing. And and to think about what he's learned since that recording is kind of like you're at that base level, and and I'm sure he on on the level he is now knows that he has to continue to learn. Otherwise, he's he's he'll be obsolete. Yep. And, and to his credit, I mean, he didn't stop at the days when y'all were in a room this big. No. You know, he just he, he kept up with it. And you're right. There is nothing more complicated than the process of, of figuring this stuff out. Because as soon as you know something, you don't know.
0: It's definitely an area where the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. Right. I mean, there's no doubt about that. So what
2: what what's your,
0: when you think back to that? soul parade cd what's what's your favorite track on there that you like to listen to if you pull it out and listen to it, what is it
1: well um i was telling him i was telling neil earlier i really like the soul parade It's probably one of my favorites um the, i think the thing i like about it is of course the band sounds great i didn't play I this sang. um I, I sang on everything and all the harmonies are me i did all my own harmonies um but the thing I enjoyed about it, it was the message that that song has. Um, you know, it, it the, the Soul Parade, it, what it meant to me was um, going out on your own. One of the lines I put in it is, stand behind the next in line and surely your life will fade. So if you're doing exactly the same thing as the guy in front of you, you know, you're all the same person, you know. So always, I've always been that guy, you know, I always wanted to kind of do my own I approach things different. When I learn songs, I try to figure out a way that, you know, especially songs that have may, may have keyboards in it, well, I'll learn the keyboard parts, you know, and, and play them. Mm-hmm. And it, like when I do um, She Talks to Angels, you know, I do all the open tuning, but I play the keyboard parts to fill it up and just just kind of thinking outside the box a little bit. And um, that's kind of what that song's about, you know, don't worry about what everybody else is driving and what they're doing, and, and you know, be your own person. So, that, I really like that message.
0: Let's uh, let's listen to a little bit of Soul Parade, and then we'll hear about it.
1: song there developed um Phil came up with the uh with the rhythm and the layout of the song, and we kind of all discussed um different ideas and then you know um uh, I go home and just listen to it over and over and over and try to figure out and um i I don't know sometimes things come to you really quick, and the ideas and sometimes it can just kind of start flowing out. And then there's sometimes you're like, man, I cannot figure nothing out. That's, you know, and and um, Brad it, says Brad
2: says that's when uh, he doesn't do it, but he says that's hammering out a song, yeah. like really just sitting and and, and pounding away until you because there's something there, and the, even before I think before you even hear the words in the in the music, there's something there. You've got what's the message? Right. So that's when, and I agree. A lot of times. <laughs> just looking at you now, it reminds me of when he said, yeah, I wrote, I basically wrote that, that whole uh, album about the time it takes to listen to it. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> so, yeah. And I'm like, man, that, yeah, sometimes you can do that, but to really pound one out, there's a, I think sometimes you take a lot of pride in it, Even with the lyric that you were saying, that is such a thoughtful lyric and it's true. You know, you, you can be the same person that's, that's before you and, and, and continue to do that. But what what are you then? You're just yeah. a cog in the in the wheel um, instead of, you know, being uh, this individual person.
1: Well, like you said earlier, you know, um, it was hard for you to sit back and watch other people play. And you had a little pro- – my thing is that if everybody was the same, all the songs would be the same. Everybody mm-hmm. would play like Angus Young or everybody would play like – so – Always, always felt like you know there's a lot of bands in town that play the exact same stuff we play, but they don't sound like us and we don't sound like them. And that's where you can kind of differentiate. You know, you like they put harmonies here, or they may break that song down and put dynamics in it. Or to me, that's what I always, you know, that was the cool part about it. And some songs, you know, they just roll out of you. Like uh, yes. when when Sheb and I. Uh, we were working together one day, and uh, we had this. We had to hang this big, giant, six hundred amp disconnect. I mean, it was a lot. And You remember how small shed? But he wasn't that big. And I mean, we just worked and worked and worked. I was wore out. And on the way home, I dropped him off, and and I said, you know, I'm sick and tired of working forty hours a week, man. And all the way home, I thought about that, and I went right down my downstairs and wrote forty hours a week. That's on that. HGM. Uh, I wish I'd have brought it, but it was basically saying how I felt that day and it just flowed out. I mean, I couldn't write it down fast enough, all the, and how it all just, and it's not, you know, it's not like a rush song where it's like, oh, that's so deep.
0: It it was just basic stuff, but it was how I felt that day and it just flowed out, you know. So that's what I was thinking about was, so with this song, So Parade, do you remember where, like, like how you felt or what you were thinking or what, what time in your life made you write this song? Well,
1: you know, we kind of got labeled with our stuff as being uh, kind of kind of eccentric a little bit because, and you'll notice if you listen to that album very much, you'll be listening to the song, especially if you're a musician, and you'll be thinking like ahead of, oh, I know what's coming now, C chord, you know, or now they're going to go to G. and it, That's the way I find myself listening to music. When I learn songs, I'm like, I, I know In reason. Am I bored yet? Yeah, it's getting. It's okay. Now they're going to probably go to a B here. we were just being predictable. Yes, very, yes. very predictable. Well, it's like we cookie cutter. And s- and so what uh, Phil would always do, what he would he would always throw that abstract chord in there, or and you know, and it would just it would it would take the it would take the song a whole another direction, and then I would have to sing over that, you know, and I and so I was thinking man, why can't he just go to B like every other musician? (laughs) You know, but he would go to, you know, an F sharp or whatever. He would just, he would change it up. Well, then I got to thinking, well, that's what makes you different. You know, when you do what everybody else does, then you're just in line doing the same thing, and that's kind of how it got going. So
0: you, so you had the music. Phil had laid out the melodies and the music and the chord progressions, and you were filling in kind lyrics. of ideas. And you had a storyline that you yeah, kind I don't, of wanted to talk about.
2: Well, the funny part is, I think that we, you know, he kind of, I think he seems to stand out as as far as like your path of musicians that you've been with, and I think that's when I've talked about Kyle. Morgan or, or Brent, that's the thing that they bring. It's like, why did you just play that? It's not supposed to go there. But why does it fit, too? And, you know, and then it forces you into this different thought process than you're used to, which challenges you as a musician, especially somebody that, that grew up playing and hearing that theory without knowing what it is and going, but yeah, but that's not supposed to do that. Yeah, right. You know, it, it, those, that, I think that's why people like that as much as you've talked about them stand out. Because it's just they, they challenge you in a different way to to be creative. So right? who who does who did feel like to listen to? Well,
1: he was like um, um, he like of course he liked the Steve Vai stuff. Um, he he loved all the traditional, you know. As far as I know, I mean, uh, he loved all the traditional stuff everybody else did, but he's more of a B side guy. You know, he, he likes that. He could play anything. I mean, he, he could learn anything. He's a great musician, uh, good friend of mine. And but I was telling Neil earlier, he just got an ear that hears things that other like normal people don't think they listen for. And he's like, oh, right there, you know, and that's what makes him a good engineer. So um, there's people like that, you know, and they're all over. And there's, there's musicians that I've played with that when you start playing with them, they make you go to the next level. And if you don't go to that next level, then you don't play with them very long because mm-hmm. it's never good to be the A guy in your band. You should always try to be the C or low B trying to get to where the guy in front <laughs> of you. And that's what makes you better. And um, I've been lucky enough to move around with a bunch of different people. And um, I, I have to say that every band I've ever been in have made me has made me the you know, so called player or whatever that I am today, you know, be a three piece where I had to learn how to sing and play and uh, you know, and then learn how to carry some of this stuff. But when I sang, I always accepted every challenge they gave me. You know, they'd be like, Okay, we're gonna learn some Queens right. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> you know, and I go home and I'd learn it and it would be tough, but I would they'd come to practice and we'd do it and they go, oh, that's great. And then they would but the only song is funny. The only song that I could not sing and be okay to sing other songs was that song uh, "Bodies Hit the Floor." <laughs> so back right, in it the nineties, it night,
2: did it. It, it, it. Oh, oh, did did it. ruined you. Th- that was the last song of the night. That you know? would ruin you after that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I cannot sing another song. Yeah. That is it. I'm done. And when I I'm
1: sing, fried. you know, when I sing, it's like, um, it's like you know, people say, "Hey, man, let's go sing some karaoke." Well, karaoke is a double edged sword because. If you get up there and like if you get there and they say come on man sing a song for us you're like no nah, man y'all go ahead I'm well then everybody's like well, he thinks he's too good and then if you if you say okay I'll sing one and you do good, they're like, well, who's this guy? Who's he
2: thinking? So it's a no-win, you know? Oh, it's a win-win. I, I just don't sing karaoke. I won't do it. I absolutely refuse. I'm not. I can't. But do you not see what I mean? I mean, it's like... I can certainly see what you mean. That's why I avoid, avoid, avoid. I will not go to karaoke. I remember Tony was talking about. I was like, oh, karaoke There's
0: god.
2: There's people
1: that... Um, That's a very big deal to them, and they travel around and play weekly at bars. You know, I've been at bars before, and they say, you know, well, there's Jim. You know, he's and he comes walking in like he just come off the road. You know, and he's going up there, and they're like, "Man, I hope he sings this." And, and then
2: he sings. He goes yeah, out and uh, has a smoke. Comes back for uh, the second set.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, you know, I just I love to listen to people sing, and I love to listen
2: to any band, any genre. I just love music. But well, to kind of go back to what you said, don't you find uh, because Brad and I spoke about this with me? I love being the worst player in my band because. Not only do you learn, but the comfort level you have knowing, if I'm the worst player in this band, then we're going to be okay. Right. Because I know I know my stuff. I mm. know enough to carry my part. So if I can cover that, we should be solid. Right. That's... that's and it always makes you strive to be better. I mean, there's no doubt about that because any any player, any any musician wants to especially if they're play they're friends with somebody who plays they want to achieve the level that their friends are at. Exactly. But I but I absolutely find so much comfort in going, I am the worst player in this band. That is the best thing that can happen. I love that feeling.
1: And before long you're not the worst player. No, no, no. That you move up. And yeah. then and then some cases you pass up the guys. And then you know you move on to somebody else, and then you fire them. Well, <laughs> no, what what happens is is you start realizing, hey, I'm at this level now, and I want to do like this, and these guys that are with me can't do that. So you you start finding people that can do that, and then you move to that level, and you just keep you
0: know it's a, however far you want to go now. So uh, how well, how have you progressed through you know all these years and all of these bands? And you'll sit here listening to you talk, it seems like you've maintained all these friendships too. Yeah.
1: I mean, there's there's a couple of times where you leave angry or you're upset and somebody Or somebody else is upset. Yeah, and they get they don't like the way you did this or, or did that and you know, I I've always tried to well they call me like a lot of guys I play with, they call me the vocal Nazi 'cause <laughs> <laughs> because You know, I usually a lot of times um, help other guys with their harmonies. I'll find it on the guitar and I'm like, here, play these notes and sing these at this time. And, you know, because I just I know what I want it to sound like. And if nobody else in the band can do that, well, I feel like that's my part that I'm supposed to take care of. So I just push people. And uh, Bill Miller is a great example. Bill's always had a great voice and he sings great, but I pushed him to be better. And he'll tell you that, you know, and it's because... You know, I'm bringing him up to the level that I thought I was at, I guess. And then Brent Greco, I mean, he was a great singer. They're all great singers. And But, you know, one of the things I learned from some of the guys is, uh, you know, there's so many techniques. So if you're singing like a three-part harmony, one of the most important things is you you pronounce the words the same. Mm-hmm. That tightens it up right off the bat. Well, your average people don't, you know, they might say far or fair, or, you know, and, you're, and it's still in harmony, but you're not singing the same, you know. So mm-hmm. you start learning how to sing like each other. And then what happens is you start sounding like each other, and it starts getting tighter and tighter and tighter. So that's like you asked me. I've played with Bill a lot. Yeah, because we, we sang so much together. Now, the guy that I'm with now, James Osborne, um, he primarily sings all the lead and stuff. But him and I, I've, just, I've learned how to clone, you know, my vocals to sound like him to make things tighter, and you know it just works. It's good, you know, and I enjoy it. And he's funny, and we tell jokes, and you know it's just a it's a wonderful time. It really is yeah, setting up and tear yeah. down. You know that's what you get paid for. That's
2: what you get paid for. So you before know? we
0: get into Wilson Brothers, because I think we do need to talk about Wilson Brothers, because you guys have you, you've established yourself as like you know possibly the at least one of the cover bands to hire. In in Louisville, uh, I gotta ask though, how did how did Mister Grinch? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. How did that happen? Okay, Wait, so is
1: that a band? No, that's a that's a Christmas song. Oh, the Grinch I mean, Oh, the mean one, Mister Grinch. Okay, yeah, I know Mr. the song. Mister Grinch. Uh, we did. Mom's Music contacted us, and uh, they were to, they were going to put together a Christmas special on TV, and um, they wanted bands to come in and do Christmas songs, so. You know, when, of course, Phil Bright was in the band. So, of course, when they call me and say, hey, you want to do a Christmas song? I'm like, yeah. And I'm thinking Jingle Bells. And no, he wants to do the Grinch. You know, so (laughs) I'm thinking, oh, you know, this is going to be out there because he's going to go. And uh, so he was like, here's what I'm thinking. And. And I'm like, yeah, you know.
0: I remember it being pretty cool. It's,
3: so. It's,
1: so we started it out with the bass, you know. And that kind of a rhythm. And then Phil kind of comes in and the drum, you know. And we started grooving with it. And then I put my, how I felt like I should sing it on that part. And it just, it was pretty neat. It worked out, you know. And
0: Is there a video of that anywhere? Yeah, it's That's on. on it's, YouTube? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's, it's neat. I mean, uh <laughs> it was different, and, and they wanted to hear something, you know, and I think everybody else was singing Silver Bells and, uh, you know, all that stuff. And, and So you know. Phil
2: Phil is the guy that we talked about earlier that thinks different too, right? And, of course, he's going to pick the Grinch. Yes. I mean, he's not going to pick the Grinch. And he dominated
1: either. it. It sounded great. The whole band sounded, you know, I, it, like you I said, uh, Frank played the bass, Rex Owen, which he's the drummer for Mary Mary. Okay. Um, Great cover band. So we went in and we rehearsed it like maybe a week, you know, a couple of practices. And there again, you know, I knew the words and I knew how the song goes. So I've just got to follow along with what they're playing and it worked out pretty good
0: yeah i thought that was good I, I i was just i just thought about that today i don't know what made me think about it i was just thinking about this podcast tonight and uh, remember mr Grinch. so we show up over there and we're on the little stage they got where they you know they do
1: their shows Is this uh mom's music indiana jeffersonville yeah right. so mark had called me and was like hey man you know would you be interested and so i called phil and of course then he called everybody else and they decided to do it but anyway um so, of course, you know, you get there, Mark's like, okay, we don't have a whole lot of time, you know. It's not like a band practice. I was like, oh, I know. I said, we, we got it. So I think we ran through it. I think we did one take. So it was, And then they were like, well, we got all kinds of time now, you know. <laughs> but that's the way we were. We just tried to perfect things the way we did it. We, when we would come to practice, those, especially that band, we were learning three to five songs a week. And so when you would show up, and we practice at my house. So when you would show up, if you didn't have your part down, man, you got to hear it. Well, so, you're gonna,
2: and you're going to stand out when yeah, you're playing right. with a bunch of players. Know your part. I mean, look, right. we all work jobs. We all have family. Yeah. Show up, know your stuff. Right. If you're going to be in this this outfit, you've got to know your part. Right. Right.
1: hmm And I never had to worry about that. And and so what that did was push me because I knew, hey, they're going to be ready, so I've got to be. And you know, like I said, that we would do you know, Queensryche, Zeppelin, you know, plus all of our songs. And there's a couple of songs on there that I sing that are right at the end of my range. You know, it's, it's up there. And, um, you know, the other thing I, I've always thought about with cover bands is, um, you know, yeah, you're playing somebody else's music, but, you know, if you go see Ozzy or, or any of these, ba- you know, bands, they, they pull up, somebody sets all their stuff up, they do about a 10-minute, 15-minute sound check, they go back and sit down. And then they come out and play for an hour and a half of their music and then they're done. Mm-hmm. Well, a cover band plays everybody's music for three or four hours mm. and then tears their own stuff down.
2: Yeah. You know, and sets it all up and, and some of them go to work the next day. And
1: then go to work the next day. I can't tell you how many nights I slept in a parking lot somewhere where I had to be at work at seven from being at Phoenix Hill till four in the morning.
0: So, so. You, you Wilson Brothers. Who's in the Wilson brothers, first of all? I don't know if we've talked about that yet or not. Well the
1: original The original guys was uh, myself and a drummer, Scott Abel, and then uh, uh, Mark—I know his name. Which, by the way, we're
2: coming coming to the podcast with notes. Yeah, Mark Fox.
1: Mark Fox. Well, I'll tell you why, because— Mark Fox, he's a District 13 type of person now. It's not the same guy, but yes. (laughs) So Mark Fox was the original, and how that—I'll tell you a funny story— you talked about the Playtorium gigs. Those, So no no Wilsons? None. I'm getting to that. <laughs> so what happened was uh, I, I went to—when I was playing in Sweet Cheater and we were renting out the Playtorium, there was other bands, obviously, that once we did it—I was the first band to do it. And once they found out that there was a venue that you could rent out and people could come and it was cool as it was, everybody started trying to do it. Well, one of the other bands was called Sullenvex. So the
2: singer— It was their last letter in X?
1: Yes. <laughs> Every one of those <laughs> bands had an access to it. yeah. So um, um, they had great players, too. I mean, awesome players. Unfortunately, a lot of those guys have passed on. Um, but the singer in that band was James Osborne, and they were like our nemesis. You know, they played the same stuff we did. They thought they were better than us. We thought we were better than them. And, you know, that episode of or that movie in Spinal Tap when they run into that band and they're in the hallway and they're like, they're talking, yeah, yeah, and as soon as they walk man, I'm guys I, you know, <laughs> so that's kind of the way it was, so James and I were we didn't talk or anything, and so it, this is our this is going on our sixteenth year as Wilson brothers, so wow, so congratulations, in, thank you two thousand a lot of marriages don't make it though, <laughs> yeah, so in two thousand four, the end of two thousand four, so I went to a Errol Smith and kiss concert, my wife susan, and uh I'm walking through the crowd, and I just like walk right up on James, and he's with his wife at the time, and you know, what do you say? He's like, hey, man, how's it going? I'm like, how's it going? And we talk a few minutes, and we can't go nowhere, so we're like forced to talk. And, and as I left, I said, uh, you know, you playing? He's like, yeah, I'm playing with some guys. And I said, well, if you ever need a guitar player, call me. And he's like, yeah, I'll do that, man. And we walk away, and I'm thinking, that dude, man, you know, he will never call. you know. So, I'm sitting at football practice with my middle son, and I'm just sitting there in the car, hanging out, waiting for him to get on. And the phone rings, and it's and it's him, and he's like, "Hey man, was you serious about coming?" I was like, "Yeah." Well, I hadn't played in about a year and a half, you know, so I hadn't I hadn't played Harley at all. I was thinking about I was done. I'm you know was into that thing, you know. I mean, you're into you're being a dad, yeah. Football practices, and th- you know. I don't have time for that. Yeah. So he calls me and he's like, "Well man, you want to do it?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'll try." Give me some songs. So they give me ten songs. And I go over there and I haul my Marshall down there, and now I've got a half stack. You know, I'm <laughs> carrying it all down the steps, and I had at the time. I had I was playing my Ovation UK two, which is like old old guitar, you know. So we start playing, and you know we're playing some bad company and things like that. And all of a sudden, my forearm just cramps up, and my fingers just lock down. And I because I hadn't been playing, you know, and um, so they were like, eh, I don't know, man. So I came back the next time, and I was in better shape, and it worked out good and all that. Well, and then a couple of the guys were like, I don't know. And So when we finally did get a lineup, um, we were down in the basement. And we started getting better, sounding better. And like, man, we could play some garage stuff and do some parties. And So then we were thinking, well, what kind of name? So we wanted to keep it a South End name because that's where we're all from. And we were trying to think of, like, Manslick or... You know, <laughs> just something out here that was—and and we just kept sitting there, and it was like writing a song, you know, block after block. And, man, we're way too old to be called that, and, you know, and that kind of stuff. <laughs> and finally, I said, why don't we just call it the Wilson Brothers? And, of course, James is like, well, there's not even a Wilson in the band. I said, who gives a you-know-what? I said, you know, <laughs> it's easy to remember. And, and they were like, no, 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 we're not doing that. And then we started joking on it, you know, what if we— what if we made up stuff? And so, what ended up happening was um, we decided that at the end of the night we were going to try to go with that. So James goes home and, and writes this, and it was on our website forever. But basically, there was two guys that uh, had put an ad out in the Leo that they were looking to form a band, and it was uh, Tommy and Teddy, or Tommy and Teddy Wilson, and they were looking for a bass player. Just happened to be what we, you know, bass player, guitar player, drummer, and so we went over an audition. They loved us. So we got in the Wilson Brothers, and then we all got in a big fight. We kicked them out of their band. <laughs> <kept it in. laughs> so we laughed about it, you know. And for like three and four years after that, we'd be playing, and people would come up and say, "Man, did y'all ever make up with them?" And I'd be like, "What?"
2: They're like you know them,
1: Tommy and Ted. I'm like, oh yeah, we're good. <laughs> so, but we still get that every about every other show, uh, we played a, a Christmas. Uh, Party this year down to Silback, and three people came up to me. And was like, "Now,
0: which one of y'all are brothers?" I'm like,
1: "None of us." And, you <laughs> so, know, ha- so just... how,
0: you know, on a how, how many nights a month do you play? Do you think average, Wilson Brothers? You got a pretty busy schedule, don't you?
1: Yeah, we usually try to do two weekends a month, okay. and then uh, the bigger gigs will come along, and we might do three or four through the summer. Um, like we play the River Stage, we play the fair. And normally we'll have two gigs already in August. But Usually we'll, do
0: the chow wagons.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so when that kind of stuff comes up, or weddings, we'll make the exception and play a little more. But you know, um, my singer has a place at the lake, and you know, and I coach football, and the other guys do things with their families, and we we want to play, but we also want to enjoy. You know, I'm a big family person. You know, I've always coached my kids
0: and everything they've done, and of course, how have you kept that balance over? The- you know, I think we talked earlier. How many years has it been? you been playing live now. It's thirty, at least. I mean, forty. When I
1: started playing in high school in eighty, what eighty two? That was my first show, and I played almost forty years, thirty five yeah. years, almost 30, 40, forty years. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, so how do you keep that balance? Um. Well, you obviously have you, a spouse you, that's you very supportive. Yeah, I that's think the first that. thing.
1: My wife, Susan, has been instrumental in my whole progress. And I've been with her since 1984. I mean, and um, she's always supported it. And she has probably as much fun as I do when I play, you know. And, you know, the other thing is um, I have I have a pretty good following. The band has a great following. I have a real good following myself just because I feel like um, if people are going to take the time to come see me, I'm going to talk to them. So when I spend my breaks, I don't, like, <laughs> hang out by myself. I go around to every table, thanks for coming, sit down and talk for a few minutes. And I may not be able to get everybody. It's hard, isn't it? But I do attempt it. And I feel like, you know, if, if, if you— Well, it's took... just you as a person. Exactly. I mean, that's not just on gig nights. Right. Yeah. And, and, and my thought process behind that is— you know, yeah. A, I'm I'm that guy, really. But B is, if if I take you two guys with me to go see somebody, and I go, man, I know this guitar player is a real nice guy, and you and you go with me, and I'm sitting there, and the guy just walks by me, then I feel like you two are gonna be like, mm, you
3: don't know them. You know?
1: <laughs> but if he comes and talks to me and introduces himself to you two and becomes friends with you. Then you're going to say, well, I know this guitar player you got. And then you Frank's bring a couple next show. That's exactly right. And it's, it just it ramps up that way. So now it's to the point where people will come up and go, hey, Roger. And I'll go, hey. And I'm like, I have no idea. Because no. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember all those names. But yeah. I know faces, you know, and um, but I'm a social person anyway. And my wife's. very social very very
2: social so hi susan yeah so it works out uh,
1: (laughs) it works out that way and she's great because she feels the same way i do about interacting with people that come to see me you know she feels kind of like the mother hen you know have y'all got everything you need you know can i you know, want to come over here and sit with us or you know she just worries about everybody and really
0: you you have three boys right yes and How, how old are they now
1: uh derek's twenty six travis is twenty four and jason's eighteen
0: are any of them
1: uh heavily involved in music uh, Travis is doing very well um he just cut a he just cut a song on a uh, christian album that's out of this world and is that actually right? actually Phil bright, my old Soul pray guy is the one that recorded him
0: oh that's cool
1: and uh of course the first thing he did was call me and was like man, you know but always wanted one of my boys or all of them to, you know, my oldest one, I asked him one time for his birthday, you know, he was kind of picking around. And I was like, hey, you think for your birthday you would, you know, like to have a guitar, maybe a little amp? You could you have know? bought
0: him an epiphany. and Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he looks at me and he says, well, can I just play yours? And I went, <laughs> yeah. So right there it told me
2: he hey, liked it. He didn't th- love it. Yeah. So
1: what happened with Travis was um, he always sang and kind of did, what I did with my dad, as far as you know, he you could hear him sing, and he kind of had it. So he was getting ready to leave to go to Western, Western Kentucky for college, and I had a, a an old uh, Ovation acoustic, one of them thin balladeers, the thinner one. and I used to play it all the time, and um, so I got you know noticing he was hitting a few chords. So I just gave it to him, and I said, "Take this to college with you, and every time you come home, I'll
0: show you a couple of things." and you know, you know what? That that was very dangerous. Well, he— Because re- Neil Johnstone took a guitar to college, and he got a 0.0, <laughs> 0 for two straight semesters. <laughs> yes, sir.
3: <I> did. Well, <laughs>
1: what, what happened with Travis is when the Wilson brothers were going, you know, he was about— When he got started, like I said, I was at his little football practice. He was probably about eight, nine maybe, but— uh, we used to play, you know. We called them. Uh, we were on the garage tour when we first started. You know, we played this guy's garage, and sometimes we would get big time and play like a three-car garage. You know that oh, kind of shit. stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> Travis would always get up and sing a song. I'd have him sing uh, some kind of wonderful or something like that. He would get up. So the very first time he did that, we were playing a garage, and of course, all the moms made a great big deal about it. You know, <laughs> and he, and he totally is a showman. Totally. He was eight. So he yeah. loved it. So he's singing. Well they start throwing dollars and 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 he's snatching them up. And no kidding, when the song was over, he turns and looks at me and he says, Well, what's next? What are we gonna do? And I went, Whoa, buddy, you're not in the band <laughs> But I knew right then that he was like, Man, this, this, this ain't gets, bad. This yeah. gets me attention, you know. So I always knew that he would probably uh you know, want to sing some stuff. He liked that. He liked that attention. And then you gave him an ovation. They gave him the ovation, and he went down. And by the time he graduated
2: from Western, he was doing shows down there. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So, Dude, uh, Western right now, Bowling Green is banging with some yeah. amazing spots to play. Mm-hmm. Really good spots down there to play right now. So
1: he, um, he would call me, and he would say, hey, Dad, I'm playing um, – uh the sorority's having a party and I'm gonna go in and do an hour with my acoustic
0: and So this uh, is solo stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. That's
1: all he does is uh, his acoustic and solo. So now at present he does some shows at Air Devil's Inn, different places like sure. that. And uh, of course all of his buddies come and he's kinda got the he's kinda got the same thing going on that I do, you know, he's got a lot of friends and they love to come
2: and hang out with him and uh you
1: Do know, you just... go to those shows? Oh yeah. yeah. yeah
2: so so does blast. he play as his name, what's his name?
1: Travis Higdon.
2: Okay, so anytime yeah, you see that, that that's yeah. that he's playing. So, Air Devils Inn is in 40205, which is in where I deliver mail. So, I pass it all the time, and they always have. It's
0: by Bowman Field, correct?
2: Directly, yeah. directly across yeah. the street, mm-hmm. yeah. And they always have signed up with the players that are coming in that week. So, I'm going to pay attention now. Yeah, that. yeah he, um,
1: he does probably um, every other month, he'll do a show. And uh, he started out just coming in doing like a half an hour, and then he did an hour. And now they want him to be the headline.
2: You know, oh, there. cool. So, so, yeah. so he just cut
1: a Christian album? He, he actually— song. What happened was, um, well, it's like I said, that vein that I was talking about. My old drummer in HGM, um, Brent Greco, he also does sound and does studio things, writes a lot of songs. Really talented guy with well, his son— is probably 28 or so. Of course, he plays guitar, and he had this Christian band. And he, um, of course, he always liked my singing, and he was always watching us, you know. And he was into, he knew what I could do. And I had Travis on a video with playing with me, and um, they had listened to it, I guess, and and like contacted me and was like, "Hey, do you think Travis might want to come?" And I was like, "Well, here's his number," and uh, so they called him. And he brings this song over to me, and he's like, "Dad, how do you think I should approach this?" You know, and uh, I said, "Well, what you have to do is just sit and listen to it, and uh, whatever you're feeling, you know, just just kind of go with." You know, you, I said, "I don't want you to sing like me. I want you to sing like you." And mm-hmm. I said, "The only way you're going to be able to do that is to experiment and just see how the how the song makes you feel and how you want to phrase
2: stuff." And you know. I'll be, I don't know how important you, it, it is that you told him that, that that hey I don't want you to sing like me, be you that that that's right. that that right there that little statement is is so big for a kid to kind of go I don't have to be my dad and step out of his shadow and do my own thing that that's important man that to and it probably uh, stems from from the way you've been have been able to enjoy music and, and watch other people and and not have to force. Yourself into their spot or well, doing any that, of those things.
1: It's that soul parade thing. Yeah, you know. I mean, that's yeah. I, I live off yeah. that. And don't be me. So the only, the only advice I gave him that I, I said, I hope you. I, I, I think it's very important that people can understand what you say. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> yes. You don't know how many songs I've been singing for years. You know, and I'm like, that ain't right. And I, you read it, and you're like, oh man. Uh, you know, there's a Rod Stewart song. Um, Hot legs. We we still do it, you know. And there's one part in it where um, I don't know what my bass player used to sing, but the actual lyrics is vitamin E. So like vitamin E, but he just says vitamin instead of vitamin. So I don't know. Femininity's one of the things he used to say. We used, to, you know, and we did of course I'm playing guitar. I'm not listening to what he's, you know. And then we get the lyrics out, and he's like. Crap, I've been saying this, and it's that you know. So there's a lot of that that goes
2: on that people don't, you know. That's oh, the scariest yeah. part about being the singer, man, is you know if you mess up the lyrics, everybody's going to know.
0: Well, hopefully it's one of those late-night songs where you
2: can... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think
1: the way he found out was somebody actually, like, come up and out of the audience, like, right after that song was like... Dude, what are you that's saying? My, that's you know, my favorite song. and You completely yeah, butchered yeah, the yeah. lyrics. <laughs> that song sucks now because you said vitamin or whatever. You know? um,
0: I just got another memory. I got another <laughs> Roger. Roger so Roger again. And yeah, I, I never, I've never told Roger this, but I, I appreciate how supportive you were when I, you know, when I first started playing, and you know, you would show me, you just showed me a few things a few times, and uh, but another thing that Roger and I think Bill did. And you probably, you guys probably s- said something for us because we shouldn't have been playing here. We played a chubby race. You remember chubby race? Yeah, yeah. So we went out and played a chubby race with my cousins. It's SOL that would ended up becoming SOL. I think this is before we may even have had a band name. I don't know. <laughs> and I sung an entire song out of key. Do you remember that, Roger? Right <laughs>
2: No, thank goodness. (laughs)
0: goodness. (laughs) It was one of the the worst experiences I had on stage ever. It's embarrassing, ain't it? So here's what happened. So we were. Oh, it was. It's an old tune that Pearl Jam redid. Um, Oh, oh, where, where? uh, Last kiss. Yeah, last kiss. And we practiced it in G. You know, we practiced it in two keys. uh, So one of the keys was better to sing in. So we started the song, and the bass player and the guitar player. Came in on different keys, oh. but then they switched to the same key. Well, and I don't know what happened in my head, and we weren't experienced enough no to know just to stop. <laughs> it was terrible. Do you remember that, Roger? No.
4: <laughs>
2: I've always thought you did great. <laughs> you did say how supportive he was. <laughs>
1: Do
3: you really remember that? You know, about?
1: here's the deal, man. If you've got if you've got the guts. To get up and do
0: it, I'm happy. But after that happened, you know? I knew, hey, I can make
2: it through anything. If I can make it through that, I can make it through anything. That's right.
0: Yeah. So, but you know what? I, I do got to say, we did, uh, we did come back and do that song again later. So we and nailed uh, it. Yeah, yeah. That's all that mattered. Yeah. That's right.
2: Is that song that old?
0: Oh, yeah, it's That a, covers that old Oh, that's, yeah, that's an old that's song. That's
2: real old. That's probably what, 15, 20 years ago since they covered that? Not the original. Oh, oh. Well, I thought you I meant that. I know that it. was in the 50s. That was,
1: it would have been early 90s when Pearl Jam.
2: Is it that long yeah. ago? Yeah.
1: Because that's, uh, when I was in Soul Parade, that's how we, that's what we played was all 90s stuff. And then what we would do is try to filter in, like everybody else, filter in our originals, you know, mm-hmm. just
0: kind of. So, Rudd, you know, he, uh, when we first started playing with S.O.L., well, you know, we had a little show. Rudd up and man, y'all sound good. And, you know, you're doing pretty good, man, considering you guys just started. What'd y'all do? Just steal Roger's whole play set? <laughs>
3: <laughs> it wasn't my
4: songs.
1: <laughs> you know, you got them guys that just kind of cut and dry, you know, just, I guess, yeah. No, you know what? I was just happy that there was other people— enjoying something that I love to do and seeing them enjoy it, you know, and and they did. I mean, when him and Lee and all them would get together and, of course, they had listened to me and my jumbo, mumbo jumbo all my years. And then when they started playing, they just kind of caught the fever, you know, and then every time I would see them, they were just like, oh, we played and what about that? How do you do, what do you do here? And, and of course, I was just like, I loved it, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and I I just never have been that. Uh, oh, it's them guys. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm just happy we all do it. Yeah, um, and, and we're not all the same. You know, you can go at, and I've always said this too that Louisville has some of the best musicians. It, I mean, I agree. We we are so close to at one time we and I heard this on the one of the podcasts you all had about this place having a chance to be like Nashville. At one time, there was some of the best musicians, and I've traveled around Chicago, and, you know, I've been out west some, and in and, and Cincinnati and down in Florida, and there is no better musicians than there were right here. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, good ones, singing, playing guitar, drums, bass, I mean, just uh, all that.
2: Hey, you're, you, so you're in the scene still enough to know, uh, do you see a resurgence of of young kids and instruments? I'm I'm starting to see it, mm-hmm. and it's tw- about probably your oldest son's age. 26 down are starting to—the the people that are starting—Southern Rock's coming back. That yeah. type of sound's coming back, and, and the grittiness of, of that feel and, and actual people playing instruments. Right. It feels like it's coming back. Do you feel that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, one of the worst inventions ever is is the the guitar game that you, you know. Act uh, like guitar hero? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, my boys all had that. And they're like, hey, Dad, you want to sit down and play this? And, I, and of course, my answer, I, I don't act the way to my boys that I do everybody else. You know, I'm kind of cocky with them. But, <laughs> you know, my boys were like, Dad, you want to sit down and play this? And I was like, why do I want to play that when I can really play it? And you know, like, I always thought oh, that, though. You so, know?
0: so why couldn't you take that video game that kids are so attracted to and make it a real fretboard and real did.
2: chords? They did. They did on PlayStation. Um, I think it was called Rockstar or something, or Star or something like that, that if you really wanted to, you could. But guess what?
1: Nobody wanted to work that hard. It was too nobody much work. Wanted, yeah, nobody yeah. wanted when to work that. When you can just hard. push a button with each hand, one button, one button. I mean, that's easy, you know. Up, down, up, down. Button, button. I'll tell button, you the. Button. I'll tell you the one thing that 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 did do that was good was it introduced a lot of young kids to the music that I play. That's it, and and it got everybody back into Journey. Got everybody back into. Them old 70s and 80s. ACDC,
2: yeah. just jamming. Barracuda. Thing.
1: Barracuda. Oh. <laughs> and, and they got to where, you know, you had to listen to that song and watch, and you kind of had to play in
2: beat, you know, in time. And so you, It definitely taught them time. Sure. Timing with it. Yeah. definitely taught kids some, some decent timing. But I do think the most important thing is that it taught them. What good music sounded like, That's right. and what music with instruments sounded like. I think that, I think you're right. I think you nailed it. It taught every kid that played that game a, a lesson in in uh, in rock music. Well, yeah. the, I
0: mean, kids' exposures.
2: You, you know, my son
0: Brent's is the same age as Derek. You know, mm-hmm. they were born about the same time. The span of music they know is just incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they and I don't know if it's it's Guitar Hero, it's social media, it's just the availability of music now. They know music from fifties to two thousand twenty.
2: Well, that also kind of we we talked about how I I'm, I personally think Louisville is a melting pot of music, and that may be part of that. They may just be part of the culture of Louisville music that hears every type of music from hip hop to to hard rock to classic rock to uh, to how the love orchestras a, a big thing in this town and i mean there's just all kinds of i don't maybe it's that or maybe it is just kids these days get so much more um, of a reach into the, like with the spotify and being able to pull up your album from years ago and and they had the access to all that stuff so it is kind of is it because they have access or is it because maybe those two guys grew up in a in a spot like us that makes us kind interested. Of yeah,
0: interested. Yeah, good interested. Yeah.
1: Well my my three boys didn't have a shot. They were going to like what I play cuz <laughs> They're going like 80s rock <laughs> I man. Mean, they were they were laying in the baby beds vibrating the whole time we were rehearsing in the basement. So but you know, my kids are very supportive of me. They come they still come watch me play. They all have they all have that Soul Parade album on their phone. They put at any time I might be sitting around and they'll come up and start playing something in my ear, and, <laughs> you know. And and um, they've always come out. I, Travis got up with we played at the Blind Squirrel, uh, uh, TKS at New Year's, and Travis got up and sang some ZZ Top. We always try to get him up and encourage it. And um, that's cool. But that's the thing, man. You you have to have a supporting bunch around you to really enjoy this thing we do because there's nothing worse than you enjoying it and somebody sucking the air right out of you. Oh man. yeah. You know, and I and that's another reason, you know, you were saying what makes you stick with some guys and some people well some guys kinda get out of it because it just not it doesn't fit what their life's going through and maybe the wife doesn't or he don't want to be playing and somebody hitting on his wife and
0: I just that just you know <laughs> So my dad and my uncle, they had a band called the Clavis Asley Band. And they got hired by a corporate, corporation. It was a corporate event, Christmas party. And the entire corporation was there to get their Christmas bonus checks. And that was it. <laughs> so so they're playing the whole night, and everybody's like just...
2: Miserable. Can we get our checks? Where's our checks? The
0: whole night? Like, <laughs> Did
2: do, do they get a... Uh, subscription to the jelly of the month club yeah they just wanted their well one jokes. it's
1: a funny you know you i remember something now too that in the wilson brothers we played a show i won't tell you where at or nothing but it was a private gig that we played and uh the place was about half full you know it wasn't what we expected it was going to be it was but it was about half full <laughs> so we start playing and uh we're you know we're doing our normal thing and then it starts kind of thinning out as the you know the night goes people are leaving see you later bye and they're leaving and we're playing well there's this like twenty people that are just there the whole night just you know having a good time putting them away just, and James keeps looking at me and he's like man they're having a great time I'm like yeah I said they're not leaving man it's great so we just keep on playing so we exhausted every song we knew we went over in time and everything so James is gonna try to be, you know, he says, man, you guys are having a great time. He goes, "Uh, what song would y'all like to hear? And this guy goes, the last effing song. (laughs) And we didn't know it, but they were there to clean. Uh, <laughs> <they> were, <laughs> yeah, hey, this dude just screams it out. The last effing song, and James looks at me, and then we find out they were just waiting for us to get on. So like, they, bro, we've been ready for two hours, <laughs> <laughs> We're the last one's so, here. So we think they're cheering for us, and they're probably out there going, "Will you be? You know, would you come?" This is it.
2: Was the last yeah. one? Yeah.
4: No,
0: um, so, <laughs> so the, the the Wilson brothers. Let me ask you: How, how did the Wilson brothers become? 1077's house band, and what does that mean? Well, um,
1: somebody in their marketing decided we can hook up with some small bars and have these contests and tell the guys in the band that um, it's going to be voted on by the people that are there, so obviously all these bands are going to bring all their fans. Uh, we're going to have three bands play with all of their people there, which is going to fill this bar up, and... We're going to do it in stages. So we're going to put these bands against each other and make this thing drag out for, you know, a month and keep dwindling it down. And whoever signs up to host this thing is going to make money because people are buying drinks and staying there and eating. And, you know, so it's just a marketing thing. Um, We ended up going against, I think, 12 bands. And what was... um, the prize for that was uh, you get to play at, uh, I think, the little—at the amphitheater with Open Up for Something or, or for e- somebody. Your e- boy,
0: Yeah. Oh, we talked about that in another episode. Yeah. They have an awesome sound system. Yes, they
1: do. <laughs> and, you know, no matter how big your band looks on a normal stage, <laughs> it looks like a Like a little baby band. You got a little baby
4: band down there?
1: <laughs> yeah. So— um, they took the, um, Quite it took an awesome venue though. Oh, it was great. And, and we played great. I've got it on video. It was, uh, it was a good time. And, uh, we actually had a, a show that night too. So we played a show in the afternoon and then we all got on the Wilson brothers helicopter and flew <laughs> over to our next show, <laughs> dropped us off to, you know, but we really mm-hmm. thought we were rock stars that day, but it was a good, it was a good day. we played there a couple of times, um, Playing at Jeffersonville River Stage is a good time. I, that's a real nice uh you know, up and close with everybody. Everybody's sitting in chair, you yeah, know, that's an chair. theater. Isn't oh, it's it? great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, yeah, it's kinda the time. same deal. It's a good time. But um I've I've been fortunate enough to like when we played at uh um, Caddies, we opened up for um Grand Funk Railroad. I got to meet. Ooh, I got to re- wow! Meet some of them guys. Um, Atlanta Rhythm Section. And you've been playing
0: some kind of wonderful for years. Yeah, I think.
2: <laughs> I, yeah, they all saying better than you. You should have played it before yeah. them. Man, you should have played it in your in the in the uh, before.
1: Them. Yeah, man, I'll tell you, Mark uh, Mark Farner. I don't know if you've ever seen him before, but that dude back in the day, he was he was the man. I mean talking about a three-piece band that um played great music and could entertain mark farner if you ever have a chance to get on youtube and just look at some of them old grand funk railroads uh, that dude was amazing yeah and uh, then if you, of course i love i don't know about you but i love the behind the scene shows that talks about just like what we're talking about how you got started and what happened and all that and the story behind them is uh Uh, It's incredible because they—I think they were—if I get it right—they were supposed to play uh, in New York at Shea Stadium or something—and they got into it with their manager and fired him. Well, he owned all the rights to everything, all the equipment, and he took everything. And they're getting ready to play this show, and they had to go rent and try to find—and you know—and then then that dude, I think, got most of the rights to their songs. However, I think it went. But and I'm sitting here going. And I thought I had a bad night with a string breaking, you know. <laughs> but to hear that stuff, man, is just like, it's so fascinating. They they were actually playing in a garage and was playing some, you know, small shows in the area on the backs of semi-trucks, you know, things like that, I think. And somebody heard them and talked to this guy and that guy, and they ended up playing in a big festival in Atlanta, Georgia. So they went from playing, like, in front of 30 people to, like, 10,000 people.
0: Wow. In a, that, you in a, know, and there's so many talented people out there that just needs that yeah, type of break. You so know? many. There's some right here in Louisville that just so are so on the verge. Oh, I thought you meant
1: at this table. Well, besides <laughs> this table. <laughs> besides That's the office, so <laughs> Um But I, I work with uh, quite a few guys that it's amazing to me how many people— dabble or play in music you know i work in construction and i always run into somebody that plays with somebody or knows this person and one of the guys that works with me uh, his name's aaron biebelhauser and he <laughs> Aaron Be- i know the yeah. biebelhauser <laughs> and they're great guys they're and great aaron guys. is one of the most talented guys in louisville i'm telling you that mm-hmm. dude can play anything sings great he actually hosts on i think it's wfpk on Sunday nights, he does the bluegrass, but that's yep. what he plays is bluegrass. and he, okay. and he
0: tears it up. That, okay, well, he well, just, maybe we can get him up here.
1: He just um, redid um, some songs by Mickey Clark, which was another. Oh man, Mickey Clark, yes, was another legend in Kentucky, and uh, he was good friends with Aaron and, and them. And uh, I used to deliver Mickey Clark's mail, and Aaron, unbelievable, went dude. through and redid a bunch of his songs. And uh, had like Sam Bush play, which really
2: yeah, he went to Nashville. Oh, Sam Bush is unbelievable too.
1: Guy named Steve Cooley,
2: I don't know if you know him. The glutes we talked about. The glutes, yeah. Yeah. Guys are all you know. You start talking about legends, man. You talk (coughs) about the veins of global music. Those guys have been doing it here for well as long as you now, forty years, fifty years. And then
1: you talk about the different levels. You know, you think, Hmm. man, I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm in that A group now, or you might. Th- and then you meet somebody like those guys, and you're like, "No, I'm not even close to that." Hmm. You know, and this town's full of them kind of guys. It really is. There's more people that have stopped playing that are so much better than. I mean, it's just unbelievable how many. You know, you go to somebody's house and they say, "Well, my uncle sings a little bit." Here's a
0: record. You're like, "Golly," mm-hmm. you know. And- Do the Wilson brothers play more private gigs now than public?
1: No, we play more public gigs, okay. um, but we we love the private gigs. You know, I love private weddings. Gigs pay really well.
0: <laughs> they do. <laughs> they they pay do well. play well. But here's your... and the hours are usually better. Way yes. better.
1: <laughs> the thing I enjoy about weddings and um, things like that is people come there. Happy times. They come there to dance and have a good time. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. happy times. The yeah. hardest part about playing a bar is trying to figure out what to do and how what to play to make people do what you want them to do.
2: Yeah, and, and sometimes people are too cool to do anything at a bar where when you're when you're at a wedding or something like that you're ready to celebrate
1: right yeah right in a bar the the key to a bar is this is you have to attract women yep and if you get them up keep them up if they dance you know if if a band's playing and guys know that there will be a lot of girls there well that's
2: where they're going have you ever taken that wedding ring off to play a show? No. Absolutely not. No. They know you're married. They ain't look. I mean, no. they, they're just. No. Come on. I agree with that sentiment.
1: And it, one of the things that why is why that um, it's worked out so well between me and my wife is she knows where my heart's at. You know, I do this because I love it. <clears throat> and I'm not going to do anything to spoil what I love. That's what I look forward to. I look forward to getting my guitar and performing and seeing everybody having a good time you know i'm happily married i've got a great family life i've got i'm not going to spoil that for nothing and she knows that and that's the part
0: why she gets to enjoy it with me mm-hmm. you know you have to have trust yeah. you know with that and what's well, nice is she supports you know and she and she supports your music yeah she, she you guys got married right out of high school i mean like
1: 84 yeah well yeah. i take that back we dated started dating in 84 and we got married in 90 we actually met at Whispering Hills, one of Brad's old stomping grounds.
4: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: but we met there, and then she found yeah, out I, I found yeah. out I played music, and so well, that
0: was a really odd place, Whispering Hills, when we were going there. Yes, so you had the dance floor that ran the entire middle of the club, and one side of the dance floor was twenty-one and older. What? And the other side was eighteen to twenty-one. Was there a
2: bar on the twenty? 20- so so
0: everybody met on the dance floor. You know, you could get in 18 to 21, but you had to stay on this side of the dance floor. That's crazy. It's crazy. That's cool. Never would happen nowadays. Who would no.
2: stay on that side of the dance Nobody floor? Nobody
0: did. Oh okay. <laughs> um, a lot of
2: a lot of couples married, you know, met there and got married. Lots, you know. I guarantee I guarantee a lot of twenty-one year old men. Place, a lot of eighteen year old honeys. That
0: place has been torn down, and now there's apartments there. I think. I know
2: it. <laughs> I know it. There's so
1: much. I used to sit and listen to my dad and them and my uncles all say, "Well, you know, this is so much different now. This used to be there," and I would think. You know, Come on, well, now you're old, you know, now I'm seeing, it. I'm seeing things change. I mean, I can remember when Snyder wasn't there,
0: you so, know? Yeah. And Davey Philpott, before it was even <laughs> open, drove his car down to Snyder and you're wondering if the bridge is ahead of you or not. <laughs> yes,
3: <laughs> right.
0: and Bruce, they all did that. You know, one of the,
1: not to get off the music thing, but what we did when we were growing up was so much fun. We, when we would go over to uh, Mumsy and Pubsy Blevins and we there would be ten of us there or whatever, and we would all sit in that garage with with Pubsy, the dad, and we would all sit out there and tell jokes and lie and just tell stories <laughs> and laugh. We started almost every weekend out for a long time doing that. And of course we didn't go out and do stuff till eleven o'clock at night, mm-hmm. you know, but just sitting around bonding like that. We had so much fun.
0: Thing I was going to ask you to do tonight, Roger. But then I thought, you know, we can't do that because we can't play copyrighted music. But like one of the songs that is always requested every time I've ever seen you play, "She Talks to Angels." Right. Everybody wants to hear you play "She yeah. Talks to Angels." How did that? How did that come about? Well,
1: um, that song actually, um, the year that I won the car show, um, I played that song live, and uh, of course.
0: Metallica came out. And you nailed that, by the way. Every Thank time you. I've ever heard you play She Talks to Angels, it's like you kill it. Thank you very much. Um,
1: Metallica came out with, um, well, what's their big hit? Uh, when they played all the ball games. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> so we're
1: playing the car show, and it's like the two bands before us played that the band after us played that, you know. So everybody was kind of playing the same thing. They were soul parading, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so I told the three guys in HGM, I was, we worked on, our first song was Fear, Love, Tonight by Van Halen. Then I played uh, She Talks to Angels. And then we finished with Any Way You Want It by Journey. So we were like a breath of fresh air. So and was uh, Bill
0: playing with you at that show?
1: Bill was playing with me and Brent You guys Greco. have great harmonies in any yeah, way you want yeah. to And that's the main reason why we did that song, because we, we all loved harmonies. Uh, we even put the harmonies in um, Feel Your Love Tonight at the beginning. That's the way we would start it. We would just harmonize, feel your love tonight. I can't wait to feel your love tonight. And then we, da, 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 you know, we kick right in that way. So we were very—but anyway, that's where that song— with me playing it got real popular, is because I played it there and everybody, nobody else played it, you know, and I did it. And then we started playing a lot of band battles and things, and we had to play that song every time. So I'd have to drag that acoustic out, you know, and- Special tuning. Special, open special E tuning opening, and all yeah. that, and, and, but everybody wanted to hear it, so I just kept playing it, but uh, yeah, so you,
0: so you carry a guitar tune to open E to
1: every show. I did for a long time. I haven't done that song with the Wilson brothers, but maybe two or three times. Is and, that right? And they're like, you know, you need to do that again. And I'm like, I just don't want to drag all that out. You know, <laughs> I'm getting to the point where it's like I went from a, a half stack Marshall and all the effects to now I'm playing through a, a little small EVH 50 watt head with a little bitty one speaker. And it all sits real, you know. Have you ever uh, so. have you ever missed the Helix? Um, I'm in the I'm in the process of looking at some stuff right now, but I think I'm gonna if I get one, I'm probably gonna go with the Fractal AX8. Okay, it's um, the the step up from the AX8 Fractal is um, I forget what they call it. It's like AX3 or something, but it's a rack mount. Oh, okay. And it uh, it has more um, data uh, possibilities as far as running several effects. And what's
2: What's the control in that? It's the same deal with like a foot switch system well,
1: the fractal is actually a rack mount with a remote foot switch, okay, but the ax eight is the actual module and the foot switch built together, okay, so it's more of a, a user friendly for stuff that I would be doing. Right. It's very similar to the helix the floorboard you know okay thing. um since I play more the thing I've noticed with the helix that I play, which I'm not a professional with it at all. Some of these guys that are that are playing with them. You know, right now are awesome on them, and they sound yeah. just like whatever they want them to sound like.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not that tech, you know, tech guru nut job that can just sit down and figure all that out. I'm not smart enough for that, so <laughs> that's the only thing that's kept me from maybe getting one. Plus, mm-hmm. I do love the t- the tube tone in my amps. I mm-hmm. love that, t- that one tube. It's unbeatable, man. It is, but. At the same time, at 3 o'clock in the morning when you've done played for four hours (laughs) of your track. Let
2: me grab this pedal board and head home now. And
1: everybody's kind of, especially us older guys you know, in my range, more more and more of them are heading towards that lighter, quicker, get in and out type thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, the Axe 8 seems to me it's got a little bit more heavier guitar sounds, which me playing the 80s and the 70s and things would be a little bit better for me now it's not to say that the right person couldn't fix me up perfect with a helix Yeah, it's just people. I'm not smart
2: enough to do it on my own you know Yeah. so yeah I've, I've currently had the head rush at my house which I'm not even sure who that's made by but it's tough do you like it? honestly mm-hmm. no but <laughs> it may be because I haven't figured it out yet what right. do you play through Neil? Uh, I've got a Fender Blues Deluxe uh just a tube amp man. It's a one twelve eminent speaker. Yeah. Love it. Uh warm, nothing too crazy. Small. Yeah. Small. Easy to carry. Small. It's still heavy as shit, but those me, old fender amps are Unbeatable. They're unbeatable. You, you really you really can't So
0: you know one thing we haven't talked about tonight, Roger, is the ride. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what? I've had that for a long time since high school. What? So, so the like,
0: what? will your hair even lay down on top? Uh, some of it will. <laughs> <laughs> we talking? So you might be too. You might be too young I to even go Chris the... had the rod,
2: man. My brother had so, the rod in so, the, uh, high so, school.
0: So Roger had the rod, not not the rod. Ba- he did had you have, the rod. Did you have
2: the mullet
1: back? That. Yeah, I had the king mullet for king a long mullet? time. King mullet?
0: So Roger's hair stood up perfectly straight, all the same length. You, you had to get a cut every couple of weeks because it was always perfect for years.
1: Yeah, I, I took pretty good pride in that mullet.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I had to just get it out there.
1: You know, I spent a lot of time on that. And a lot of people, a lot of people tried to soul parade me on that, too.
3: They tried to, they try to
2: follow you. Huh? Well, let me tell you something, man. The mullet and the rod are both coming back. If you look at Theo Bond, a comedian right now, he's one of the biggest comedians coming up in, in the world. He is currently sporting the rod with a mullet. Is that right? Correct. Yes, but he is from Louisiana, so he has an excuse. Yeah. <laughs> that was a fun.
1: That was a fun time. You know. I remember going to concerts and dressing like I was ready to walk on stage. I mean, that's just the way everybody dressed. Oh, yeah. You, you could go to a concert, and you see a guy in full spandex with Capizio shoes, and his hair's all—I mean, he looked like—and you're like, is that the guitar player in the band? No, he's just the guy <laughs> down his, you know, that's just the way we all dressed. And, you know, we always tied things on our arms and—, and uh, I only I only went with the mascara one time. Like I got somebody <laughs> talked me into how cool that would be, so I tried that eyeliner thing. And I mean, I looked like uh, Alice Cooper after the first song. <laughs> it was just, that, and I was like, I'll never do this
2: again. So I did. you're all, you're one of those sweaty guys, like hey, oh yeah, yeah. There ain't no makeup. No, bro. I can't it ain't happening to me. Now so my, you
0: ha, so you've you've done <laughs> oh gosh, you've probably done a thousand shows. Maybe I don't know well, a, lot, a lot a lot
2: of shows, but I, wait, what, let me answer that. Yeah, you've done way more than that. If you've done, yeah.
0: A lot. So (laughs) so what shows stand out in your mind? What do you remember? Well,
1: obviously, um, that 1990 car show was a big big time. I mean, for us to have only practiced for two weeks and got up there and had the response we did, that was a big—and that was early in my career, you know. So uh, the crowd was into you. Oh, yeah. And— I'll never forget when I was leaving the stage and packing my stuff up. One of the one of the judges came up to me and and was like, "Man, y'all sounded really good." I was like, "Thanks." He goes, "You ain't leaving, are you?" I said, "Yeah, we're gonna get our stuff and try to get out of this crowd." And he goes, "Well, you probably already to stay." He goes, "It's gonna be really good, you know." And I'm like, what "The hell is he talking about, you know?" But what it was is we had won, and I didn't, you know. He was, was his way of saying, "Don't leave. You're gonna." Yeah. Leave. So that was a good time. Um, then there's been other times, you know, I've played, um, of course, my first show in Pranks with an X, uh, <laughs> at the, at, at the, again at the car show. You know, that was a really big deal back in the day. I mean, you had so many bands with nowhere to play, and a lot of them were too young to play in clubs. They just played in their basements and things, and then you had this one show every year in February at the Carl Casper's Custom Auto Show. And, you know, the guy that even announced it was awesome. Carl Caspers, cause you know, I mean, just, <laughs> you just get goosebumps thinking about that. You know, you got a year to, you know, and, and we all played in it. Every, all them guys that's my age back in them days, we all competed in that. And I think that's where the. Is, does that still happen? No, they they don't do it anymore. They don't? Man. And that's one of the things that I, that, that's one of the things that um really hurts me is that there's just not many places to play anymore. There really isn't. And, and you have so many kids that are putting bands together and trying to get things going, and there's nowhere to— That's why the other thing that I was going to say, besides the guitar hero thing, Mom's Music and those guys that are doing them rock schools, mm-hmm. that's really got a lot of kids playing and doing that. And that's just really neat. And I guess I that's— think,
0: I think you're, uh, your mentee, Spencer Corbin, I think he started at Mom's Rock School. I have no idea. I, I, th- I think that he did, yeah. And
1: that's just that's such a way to give back. I mean, I know it's probably a moneymaker, everybody's a business, but
2: just some place that a kid can go and learn all that. Plus, man, if you don't have musicians, you don't have a business. So it's, it, it is a little bit of that, but I think you said it right. It's a give back. Yeah. Music is a gift, man. It's, it, it's a complete give back. And I think unless you really play, uh, you don't. I take that back. You can listen and experience the gift of music, but as a player, you appreciate it in a different way. And so, to get that gift and to give that gift to kids that 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 really forge that interest. And I think a big part of with moms and and uh, any type of uh, programs like that is they're not getting those kids and and starting how I started with the Mary Head a Little Lambs. They're starting with, "What do you like to play?" Hey, look, we're going to play this ACDC song. We're going to play this cool ass song that's been played for the last fifty years in rock music that everybody plays, the standard. So it gets them introduced, how we kinda talked about um the Guitar Hero. It gets them introduced into these old songs that are C D, you know, C D so and what G's is and
0: these songs, the song that if you are a cover band you better do.
2: Well, it just depends on the genre you play. Though. Yeah, I think that's that way. I don't even know if that's an answerable question because he's right. It just depends what the audience is because there's always the guy, hey, play a Skinner. You know, there's always that. You, the 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 answer would be Sweet Home Alabama mm-hmm. if there is an answer. But really, it's it, it that's the correct answer. Yeah. What genre are you playing? Are you playing 90s country? Because if you don't play Friends in Love Places, then you just get off the stage.
1: Yeah. I'll tell you the one song that is surprising. We turn and look at each other almost every show we do when we play this one song. Everybody packs to the dance floor, and and everybody um, is so into this, and it's unbelievable that they are like this. And you'll and you'll probably never guess what it is for us. But when we play it and in the way we do it. It's it's like the song that we we could start every set with this song and pack the dance floor every set.
0: (laughs) I can't wait. What is it? What is it?
1: Crazy train. Really? I am not lying. When James James starts with all aboard, he does the whole thing, and he's a character though, right? he's a a performer. But and it's not that we nail it. It's not that we. It's just the way we do it. We we do it, you know. I sing the harmony and I do all the oodly oodly things that I can do. You know what I mean? But it's I I think it's the way we the the way we look like we're just having a great time with it, right? And uh, and every time, like we played that Christmas party, you know. And I mean these it was uh, for the uh, big steel playing out here off of uh, out here off Dixie, you know, back in there, but. There's three, 400 people there, and they're all—you know, half of them, some of them are dancing, some are having a good time, a lot of people standing around talking. And somebody requested that song. We're like, well, it's a Christmas party. Oh, what the heck? We'll do it. So I'm sitting here knowing how that song goes in these clubs and stuff. And it's an old song, and it's wore out, but everybody loves it, you know. So I'm just kind of scanning. I'm seeing all these people talking. And, man, when he does that and we kick into that, they just turn and— you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? they just Pumping like the Grr! fist. Oh yeah, and it's, we just laugh because we're like everybody. It's like everybody, everybody loves yeah. Ozzy.
2: I guess it is all aboard. the The other, <laughs> the other
1: song that uh, I used to say, you know, if you if you went to the funeral home and you're looking at somebody and you're talking to the, you know, somebody, I'm so sorry it happened like that. Man, that's awful. I hope the family, you know, you're doing the normal funeral stuff. If the electric slide comes on, <laughs> Do you all play the electric slide. No, we don't. Oh, <laughs> but I'm saying that's the song that while you're talking to these people, you're gonna start. If it doing comes
3: on. It. You can't. He was like, "Man,
1: I can't. I, I really hate that. You know that you all. Uh, but uh, if I could do anything for the, you know, I, I'm so sorry that that's one of them songs. Like you're talking about. I mean, it's just if I could if I could have wrote that.
0: Boogie,
1: boogie, boogie, boogie. Hey, Macarena—that's yeah, another one. Another one, I you mean, know. There's a
2: few, uh,
1: and those guys will be remembered for just that one song the rest of their, you know, rest of their lives. So. All right, I got
2: an idea. Let's let's make a cover band where all we do is like left foot stomp, <laughs> do, do 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 do, right foot stomp. Then we'll do the electric you. slide. I'm gonna we'll do Macarena. We'll play like four sets of those songs. Dude, would be huge. You okay. could play
1: one set, the whole one hour set the macarena <laughs> yeah. set to uh electric, electric slide. slide but it's yeah. just you know people want to come out and they and they come out with the intent of having a great time and it, and it's your job as the band to figure out how this is going to work you know you yeah. know why they're there they they paid to get in they want to see you now what can i do to make them take that you know step to the dance floor cuz and and I'm I'm not saying the Wilson Brothers are good at it. I'm not. But we do get people to dance to songs that other bands may play that they don't get as much. But I think the main thing that shows with our particular – is that we are having a great time. And, and if you're sitting and watching people have a great time, it makes you want to have a great time.
0: Well, I think that's what sets you guys apart. I mean, obviously you are a band that can – Help people have a good time because you're you're highly desired. But you know, you guys are content with that, and that's what you want to do. You want yeah. to help people have fun, and that's you have fun to help other people's exactly. fun. Exactly. That's and and I, and
1: I feel like that's what music should be about. You know, music is a um, it's a it it puts you in a mood. It can be sad. It can be happy. It can be scary. I mean, there's all kinds of you know. And so we always have have looked has looked at it like uh, like I said, you know this is my happy time. this is what I wait to do. um some people like to go play basketball or they they you know I like to bowl, that's my thing, I can't wait to bowl or whatever, but mine was always music, and I wanted to make sure that it was what I'd been waiting on all week. you know I' have never get up on stage and not smile or um I can't remember whenever I was playing. And thought, man, I'd rather be here than here. Hmm. You know, I've always loved, I just, when I strap it on and start play, you know, I'm I'm where I want to be. Now, I'm not, I'm not the best at it. I admit that. I don't, I've never said I was, I'm this and you're not. I'm, I'm just not that person. But I will tell you this. I probably have as much fun in my band doing what I do as anybody does in any band they're in. And that's yeah. what's important to me.
0: Oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Roger Man, we we uh, appreciate you joining us tonight. That's it's been a it's been a great podcast, and I think people will enjoy listening to this. And you've got a you got a rich history with Louisville
2: music. So, speaking of the Wilson Brothers, this is probably all right, it's uh, probably going to be coming out around the twenty fourth of January. Do you guys have anything coming up later on in January, or maybe in the beginning of February, that we can come out and get these? Listeners, supporting. yeah, our ne-
1: our next show um, that we've got set up. I'll read them off here. Um, we're gonna play the County Line, January eighteenth. Uh, the next show will be Stevie Ray's, January twenty fourth. We'll be at TK's Pub, uh, February the first. Then we're at the Levy, February the eighth. Um, and then that a good friend of mine, that Greg Unthank. Um, that plays in the blue funk band that I played with for years. Um, he had some had to go in the hospital, had some things done, and there was a little bit of complications of some not not anything life threatening, but something that kept him in a little longer. So we're going to play. Uh, it's going to be uh, us and uh, Soul Circus, I think. Um, I don't have it in front of me. But uh, the hammerheads are playing as well. I don't know if you've heard of the hammerheads. Yeah. I'm so, Sean from So Sir. So we're gonna we're gonna all get together and uh, play Stevie Rays. We're gonna do maybe half an hour, forty five minute sets each and uh, all the donations, everything goes to Greg to try to get him back on his feet and get him playing again. So Cool uh, Awesome.
0: So this show this show will be published on the twenty fourth. Yeah, I think so... you said the twenty fourth at Stevie Rays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're listening to this show on the twenty fourth, get out and check out Wilson Brothers. Yeah, always,
1: always check out the Wilson brother. That's what we want. That's, That's right. What we want.
0: Bridges, it's been great to see you again, man. We need to not stay uh stay apart so long. Yeah, I, yeah, I
1: agree. I've got a lot of um um I've had a lot of fun and going over some things I kind of let slip out of my my memory and it was fun for me just writing
0: down everything that you that forget. you might ask me because I forget all the stuff. You I you done, forget. Huh? I mean we probably didn't
2: talk about half of it. No, we did we didn't, but um, That's why there's more podcasts. We, we get to do it yeah. again.
0: We'll have you back another Heck time. Yeah. So what, what Soul Parade song you want to go out on?
1: Um how about let's go on out on well, we go out the one you like. Draw how about we come in on the
2: one I like? We go out on Soul Circus. Or Soul S- Parade? We heard um, we that's heard so Because Soul, <laughs> Soul, parade, <'cause> Soul <laughs> Circus is gonna be with them with that. So we heard the benefit. a benefit. We heard a little <laughs> bit
0: of Soul Parade in the in the middle of the podcast. Well, wait, wait,
2: wait. What was the uh the first song on the album was called It's called uh What's on My Mind. What's on All My right. Mind. Let's, about, go let's go up. out on what on what's on my mind. So
0: parade, what's on my mind? <laughs>